Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming. I was uh, talking to 
uh, Hector from the LaRouche Pack, and he, you know, made me aware of, of your campaign, and he, you know, showed me some links and showed me this video. And one of the videos was like, I got to have that guy on the show. Uh, <laughs> was when you're at the Trump rally out there. It's just about a four minute, uh, a four minute clip uh, where you were being interviewed by someone, and you talked a lot about, you know, you know, optimism, and you know how you know something to be optimistic about, which unfortunately. <laughs> You know, it's getting better, but I, I, you know, as a whole, I don't see a lot of optimism, unfortunately, in our politics right now. I see a lot of hate and division, to be honest, uh, in, in our politics, and, and I really do think that it is a time we really need some some positive energy and some optimism. I totally agree, and I very much uh, agree with the message that you sent me uh, when we started to set up this interview, which is that. It's the future policies that have to do with incredible new scientific breakthroughs for the entire human species that are really capable of healing and unifying the country. Um, that's why I've made an enormous focus in my campaign on the Artemis program that President Trump established in 2017. Not uh, which is a, a mission to industrialize the moon and Mars. And it includes Americans going around the moon in 2022 and coming back to the planet. And then in 2024, landing on the moon and beginning the process of actually developing the surface of the moon uh, with a view that this is a launch pad. And if you listen to Trump, he's always very focused on this. It's a launch pad for Mars for the manned exploration and colonization of Mars. Uh, and to me, this is the kind of thing where I look at my daughter, who's a year and eight months, and I say... Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. You know, if this Yeah, you got an interesting time in front of you. My daughter's uh, going to be 18 next year, so I know what you got. <laughs> Go ahead, Daniel. <laughs> Go ahead. If she, when she turns six and your daughter is in her early 20s, then we're going to see human beings walking on the moon, and, and including, including the first woman to walk on the moon, and it's going to completely change the way that she thinks about, you know, about herself and about her universe and about her country and about, about the world. Um, you know, and I compare that a lot when I talk to people about why I'm running this campaign to what happened when I was 15 years old, because I'm 33 today. When I was 15, I walked into math class and they told me that the World Trade Center had been hit by a plane. You know, and that really defined my whole my whole adult life was wars and uh, terrorism and, you know, and all types of craven lies that were used to perpetuate them. So I think that this is yeah. an opportunity. Mm, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to add to that, but go ahead. Yeah, well, it's an opportunity that we live in right now um, to really adopt a new paradigm of what it means for, you know, what's the purpose of our country? What's the purpose of being a human being in our country, a citizen of the country uh, and of the world when humanity is becoming a spacefaring species? What if we adopt that kind of excitement and, you know, forward motion and all of the science and technology that comes with that and we just reject the past decades of insane deindustrialization, free trade deals that have, you know, a globalization that have destroyed our manufacturing, and this insane green policy 
that dominates the Democratic Party. Let's just reject all of that lunacy and go back to the kind of thing we had under John Kennedy. And that's actually a good, you know, good segue to, uh, you know, the first question I have here. You know, and, and the first half of you being on would be that that format, and then hopefully we'll have time for you know plenty of discussion. But you, you, mm. you touched upon, you know, why, you know, what made you decide to run uh, for office. Uh, but with the Senate being what it is, you know, right now you have the two Democrats. You know, you have Booker, which you know he's mm-hmm. be tough to go against, and then you have Menendez. Uh, what made you decide when you to run? Why the Senate? Why not like like the House of Representatives first, U.S. House of Representatives first? Why straight for the the Senate, especially with that being so dominated by the Democrats? Uh, basically, I looked at the situation, um, and the lack of leadership is so astonishing. You know, the the qual the the the, the low 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 quality. Uh, in particular of Booker and uh, Menendez, but really of most of the Senate, with few exceptions, is very um, it's very inappropriate given the fact that we have a president who's fighting, given the fact that we have you know great uh, great uh, potential for the country right now to have a a renaissance of our uh, of our you know of our true potential, and. Uh, from that standpoint, I looked at it and I said, we have to have the most, the greatest impact we possibly can. We have to run on the level that where we can really go across the state and recruit people all over and put before them an idea of, um, of you know, of what the U.S. Senate should really be doing. One of the critical things to consider, the Senate deals with foreign policy, and a feature element of my campaign is to point out that at this moment we could end the endless wars and that if we're going to do that, we have got to reject the lunacy of the neocons and the Democrats who want us to absolutely despise and hate Russia and China. And they think that that's the way that they can you know, get a boogeyman on people's minds. Um, that's a non-starter. I'm absolutely with the president in his policies, which is to create good relations with Russia and China. That That's a good thing. That's not just a a good thing, but it's the beginning of a new and better situation in the world where we're not teetering on the brink of thermonuclear war. And so that was the way that I sort of came to this decision. Well, that actually, uh, you know, goes into one of my questions, you know, on your website and I have, well, you know, the campaign, the quote you have there uh, here on, you know, blog talk radio for, for folks to read. But as to your, you know, your campaign, that's one of the things you focus on, uh, you know, is the relationship. And actually, that's why we're going to have a gentleman on from the LaRouche Pack. Uh, we're working on it. We're hoping uh, next week uh, to have him on uh, on the show. And you know, so I'm working on that through, you know, through Hector, uh, the, the same gentleman that you know we're working on uh, to have you on. But we're we're still working Great. on that. Hopefully, we'll have have him on because. Yeah, I mean, this is the the time to do, you know kind of the time to do it. I mean, again, I mean, it's we haven't gone you know back to the moon or Mars, and and that's um, yes. I think Mike Billington is who we're looking to have on for next oh, week. Great. You're probably familiar with them. Yeah, on that. Exactly. But yeah, that's what. I mean, mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Well, I, 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 Michael, my, you know, that could, if I could take the opportunity to share something with your listeners, which is that um, this gentleman, Michael Billington, who 
uh, you've been, and uh, you're trying to get on the show next week. I really hope that works out. He's a, a associate of Lyndon LaRouche uh, for you know most of his life. And Lyndon LaRouche, people may know the name uh, uh, or may know about Mr. LaRouche and his uh, work over his life. Today happens to be a very important day. It's exactly one year from his death, which uh, took place February 12th of 2019. And Mr. LaRouche was an economist and a statesman who ran for president many times. And he introduced, he did that as a means of building and fighting for, you know, what the presidency should be and fighting to actually become the U.S. president to lay out certain policies that would really have gotten this whole Mars program going, for example, 30 years ago, and would have prevented all of these wars from happening and the bailouts. Uh, but Mr. LaRouche, he was, uh, he founded an international movement. He was a very, I mean, just a completely unique genius American who uh, he, in 30 years ago, 34 years ago, 1986, the year I was born, he was attacked by Robert Mueller, none other than Robert Mueller, and railroaded into prison after getting President Ronald Reagan to adopt his policy, which was called at the time the Strategic Defense Initiative. The whole idea of the Strategic Defense Initiative, the SDI, many people will know about this, was that we would end the Cold War by using scientific advances to cooperate with the Soviet Union to make nuclear weapons obsolete. And this was an idea of something we could propose to the Soviet Union that would get them to reject their, their, their imperial, stupid ways, disastrous policies that they were pursuing. And Reagan said, we could do this. And he adopted LaRouche's program, and then the whole thing went haywire. And at the time, Mr. LaRouche was working on, uh, with the president of Mexico, Lopez Portillo. He was meeting with Indira Gandhi, the prime minister of India, who was later assassinated. And what happened was an enormous witch hunt came on Mr. LaRouche, provoked by British intelligence, just like MI6 set up uh, President Trump, and involved, involving not only Robert Mueller, but also William Weld. And Mr. LaRouche was put in prison for five years. And Mike Billington, who was a close associate at the time and continued to be ever thereafter, he was put in prison for over 10 years. He got a 77-year sentence, and he committed absolutely no crimes. It was completely screwed up and and, and just a total fraudulent trial, much like what happened to Roger Stone with the whole developments over the past 24 hours, um, who who has – you know, spoken at a couple of our conferences and made clear that he understands what happened to Mr. LaRouche. It's the same thing that's happened to Mr. Trump, President Trump, but, um, you know, under the same process, same people involved in it. But the point is that, you know, if you fight for a, a, a world in which sovereign nations can cooperate around the benefit of all humanity in space, in science, in, you know, all types of physical economic breakthroughs, then you make yourself an enemy of this uh, global oligarchy, the globalists, Trump calls them, uh, which Mr. LaRouche identified as a British empire today, uh, the British empire today, that's, you make yourself an enemy of these people. But today, you know, you've got, you've got a fighting president ready to take these bastards down. And, um, and so I see that as the context for these ideas coming forward right now. Yes, certainly, and, and being uh, you know an Irishman myself, uh, 
I always knew it was the British. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, me but, too. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm a Burke. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's something my dad gave me. He said, whenever that's the one thing my dad was right about politically. He said, don't trust the Brits, <laughs> and not the British people, obviously, but the British oligarchy, the people who run that, that who run that 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 uh, na- nation, are the House of Lords and the British monarchy. And those are the people who run the, the offshore banking system. Those are the people who manipulate, uh, you know, the, 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 the financial system of the world to their benefit. And they don't do it for the benefit of any people. They do it for the benefit of a tiny number who think that they should be gods. And if you look at the relationship between, you know, Prince Philip and, and the Queen uh, of, uh, of England in their, in their promotion of population reduction, it makes it totally clear what we're up against. We do have a couple callers in. I, I, I promise we will get you into the show for questions, comments uh, with our guest tonight. Uh, certainly, we'll definitely get you on. Uh, now, one of the things you mentioned, and, and folks, you can find uh, you know more details, you know, on on his website, which I do have uh, a link to here, you know, on the uh, Blog Talk Radio uh, page, you know, Bard's Logic. But you have uh, tell us more about in, in some detail uh, the Four Laws uh, program for the U.S. economy. I'm uh, I'm really happy to share this with you. I was just out at a campus in New Jersey talking to students about this program. And basically in 2014, uh, LaRouche put down a, a set of four principles, which he said, if you have these elements, then you could totally move the U.S. economy into, you know, into the next era. We're going to massively increase productivity. We're going to overcome this disastrous policy of globalization and free trade and, and, uh, and green policy that's been imp- imposed upon us. So he laid out four elements that are totally necessary. The first one is Glass-Steagall, which some people may know this is the separation of the commercial banking system from the uh, speculative banking system, the so-called investment banking system. And this was something that was the law of the land from 1933 to 1999. It's, it means that, in effect, the banks are not allowed to gamble with the deposits. They're not allowed to gamble on things that are actually related to the U.S. economy, the real physical economy. And so it was set up to protect the real economy of the United States, and it was brought down by Wall Street over a period that took about 15 years from the mid-1980s. It was repealed in 99. Clinton was president. The Congress was completely in, you know, in bed with Wall Street at that point. And since then, we've had an incredible increase in the you know, growth of derivatives and other financial paper that has no relationship to the real physical economy. And so within 10 years of Glass-Steagall being repealed, we had the catastrophic collapse uh, 2007-2008. To restore it today means that we are making law once again that the U.S. government will not bail out a big-time speculator like George Soros or Goldman Sachs or whatever it might be. We're not going to bail them out because we don't consider that legitimate activity for the U.S. economy that should be bailed out. It should not be protected by the U.S. government. It's absolutely vital. The second principle, the second law, so-called, is the idea of a national bank And a lot of people are going to have trouble with this, and that's okay because we're going to fight through and figure it out. But this is exactly how our nation was founded. Alexander Hamilton 
what, as the first Treasury Secretary, he submitted four major papers to George Washington, or uh, commissioned by George Washington to the Congress, in which he demonstrated the absolute necessity of a bank that was a uh, sovereign bank for the U.S. sovereign republic. That essentially everything that ever came before Hamilton's National Bank was within the context of the central banks, which are private banks of Europe, and that those were means by which the financial oligarchy controlled nations. Hamilton said, we can't survive if we do that. And so he said, we're going to create our own bank that is going to serve the purposes of the U.S. real economy. And we organized a national bank that financed things like infrastructure that emitted credit on the basis of what we actually knew the U.S. population and the U.S. economy could provide for the future. Rather than depending on this idea of debt from the monetary lords of Europe, who use debt as a way of controlling the population, controlling nations. He said, no, we're going to extend a credit that allows us to use the potential of our population to grow and develop. And that's something that we should have control over as a sovereign government. We need to go back to that. The Federal Reserve is a total disaster, total disaster. There's a lot to talk about with that, including the major repo activities in September of last year, in which we're pumping sometimes $120 billion a night into the Wall Street system, the interbank loan system, uh, as, a, as in the form of loans. And we've started also uh, actual quantitative easing. This kind of thing is a private central bank that's acting on behalf of an international financial oligarchy to control the U.S. economy, and we need to get rid of that and go back to Hamilton's National Bank. The third principle is the idea of actually getting highly productive jobs, put together tens of millions of really highly productive jobs. The point being, if we extend credit through a national bank, public credit, we're going to put it towards things that are going to be like what we did under Lincoln with the greenbacks. The greenbacks were used to provide the credit necessary to build the transcontinental rail system. And it was specifically chosen because the international bankers uh, were not actually giving any kind of a cred credit to, to Lincoln. And so he had to turn to the principles of Hamilton to emit large amounts of credit for real infrastructure development, which completely changed the strategic situation in the world. Never before had there been a transcontinental rail system. Well, today, what we're looking at is the absolute need for high-speed rail in the United States. 17,000 new miles of high-speed rail is what we're proposing. Nuclear power plants on a broad scale, lots of them. We need to get these things going rapidly because we're trying to actually create an industry again in the United States, one that's dedicated to the next 30 years, to what our children, our grandchildren, and their children will need. Then the fourth principle of this, which really ties it together, is the idea of a crash program in fusion energy and a crash program for space exploration and development. And essentially what we're talking about is where value actually comes from. Real increases in value and real wealth in, throughout human history have always come through scientific breakthroughs and the application of technology. Uh, you know, using that scientific breakthrough to the economy. 
today what we have been lagging on for 50 years, we have failed to properly finance the investigation of the principles of thermonuclear fusion, controlled thermonuclear fusion, which is mean that we would control the power that goes on within the sun. And today there's been remarkable advances despite that neglect, such that we have laboratories in the United States that can create lasers that are hotter than the sun, than any star, harder than any star. Uh, we have, we have uh, uh, you know, the capability to actually get fusion reactions going where we're uh, uh, throwing together small atoms that are releasing enormous amounts of energy when they fuse together. Uh, the nucleic bonds are releasing enormous amounts of energy that can be harnessed for the benefit of the country and for the world. And those principles need to be promoted. We need to get moving on this like we did with the Apollo program or the Manhattan Project. We need, you know, five, six billion dollars a year dedicated to this. Really, you know, peanuts. We need to mobilize our scientific community to make that happen, as well as take this Artemis program and go even further. Because these new breakthroughs, that's going to provide the juice. That's going to provide the, the transformation of the productive capabilities of the United States such that we can go to the next level. We'll be making all types of spin-off technologies from this, just like we got from the space program. You know, consider that every dollar that was put into the Apollo program returned over $10. And that's because of the great, you know, additional benefits that come, all the things you can't predict that come out of it. And so we're saying that that element of it is really going to pull the whole thing together. It's going to give the, the 30 to 50 to 100-year perspective in terms of increases in science and technology that our country and the world needs. So that's the that's the policy. And I guess some you know political uh, questions, you know, just kind of logistics of it. But I, I want to go ahead and first uh, bring in the call, you know, a couple callers, and then I'll bring them back uh, you know, the questions I have. But let's go ahead and uh, get them in first. We'll have Joseph. Uh, thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hello, me. Yes. Oh, okay, I'm so sorry. I didn't hear you. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. Wow, it's it's been a long time. I'm sorry. I got caught up with uh, a new job and a, a new career, so it's been a while, but uh, I've been dying to come back on the show, and i um, glad to be here. I'd like to thank glad our to uh, humble guests. on for... your position. And thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank our humble guest here who's running for office, and... Uh, uh, I want to commend you because uh, what you're doing is uh, not going to be easy whatsoever, but it hmm. takes courage these days hmm. to truly run for office. Uh, if you're a liberal, it takes uh, cowardice to run for office um, because they hide behind the truth. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, we should be living in uh, a constitutional republic in which, you know, despite differing uh, political or religious views, we should be able to not be judged by that. But my mother raised me to judge a person, not where they come from, not what their religious or uh, personal or um, political views are, but judge them by their heart. Judge them by the content of their character, like Dr. Martin Luther King says. Judge them by the quality of the person that they are. 
and those are the metrics of which I have, you know, proudly guided myself all my life. Now, I could care less if the person is liberal, conservative, uh, Muslim, or uh, Buddhist. It doesn't matter. All I care about is quality of the person. Is this a good person? Is this a trustable person? Is this a person with a good heart, with a good soul? Um, but today we live in a society where, you know, we are basically labeled and stereotyped, and it's either one side or the other, and it shouldn't be that way. And uh, unfortunately, today's political climate is so toxic that now it's, oh, what's your political affiliation? Oh, conservative, okay, don't want to know you, don't want to have anything to do with you, thank you, goodbye. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, and it just shows you how uninformed the majority of the American public is. And I don't mean this to be no disrespect, but Robert, you and I have always maintained that a lot of the American public, they go off of what they see or what they want to see and hear. And therefore, they don't make the same informed decisions because the people say, how does a guy like Chuck Schumer stay in the Senate for 40 years? Or, to be fair, Mitch McConnell. Because the people keep on voting them year after election cycle after election cycle, regardless of their policies, regardless of whether they're succeeding or not. They feel like they have this loyalty to them, and that's where you have this impasse. And that's where Trump broke the mold when he came out in 2015. Um, Every campaign threw everything they had at with the traditional playbook of politics of how they've been operating for over 200 years and nothing worked because we had never witnessed anything like him before. And basically every political playbook was thrown out the window. I mean, heck, I campaigned for Ted Cruz and 17 Republicans and they had the best, they were represented by the best political consulting firms, the best political strategists, the best minds out there, and no matter what they threw at Trump, he was so unconventional, it just fired back. And uh, I did not start out as a staunch supporter of Trump. Um, I think you could attest to that, Robert, and all the other panelists Mm -hmm. on the show. Uh, But I did respect the will of the American people. Um, I always have. Um, So, um, But in two years, or more like three years, I had to see it to believe it, and I'm going to be honest. I was skeptical. I didn't think he could succeed at doing much, but he has the wildest expectations. He's producing the results. He's getting it done, and that is great, but the only problem is we have a divided uh, legislative branch. We have a we, uh, judicial branch as well. So we have a divided Senate and House that are both, they can't govern at the federal level, which is kind of halting a lot of the things Trump would also like to pursue and enact Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. he's only limited to what he can do via uh, executive order. And all the vitriol on top of it. Um, So Republicans govern great at the state level. If you look at the statistics between states, Red states and blue states, you know, the red states are thriving. They have the best state economies, the lowest cost of living, the best, one of the best medical health care systems and public educational systems. You look at the blue states, they're all dilapidated, New York, 
Um, even here in paradise in Hawaii, California, they're all collapsing. But at the federal level, nothing is getting done. We're at a stalemate. And so my hope is that the can get back the house. And when well, they get back the house, they'll be able to uh, get the rest of Trump's agenda done. As to what will happen in 2024, I have no clue. And I'll leave you with this last comment, to be very honest. None of the six candidates on that Democratic stage stand a chance. But I won't say it's in the bag, because that's the same mistake that the Hillary camp made. No, Trump is going to have to campaign even harder than ever to go around the country and prove his point. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't see any of those six candidates even coming close. I mean, heck, I think any of the 17 Republican candidates that were on the stage were 10 times better quality candidates than any of the six Democrats that are left. And I'll leave you with Robert. Now, we'll bring it over to uh, the Daniel. Go ahead, Daniel. I know you want the, the chime in and have comments and replies on some of that. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I, I, uh, I understand where you're coming from. My view is that President Trump has certain uh, – he has his peers. His peer group is actually not in the Congress. Unfortunately, I'm not saying that it, it, it shouldn't be. We should have people of his quality in the Congress, and there are a handful of them who at least are in the same direction. But in terms of his peer group, he is the president of the United States. He has the most powerful executive role uh, you know, that you could possibly have in this, in this system that we have uh, created in the United States. And his peer group are the leaders of the other sovereign nations of the world. My view is that he must get together with them to address certain critical issues that are of a global nature and that that will have the kind of effect necessary here. Uh, For one, I'm calling for, I'm endorsing a call that has been made by Helga Deplarouche, uh, president of the Schiller Institute, uh, but I'm, I'm really supporting this very strongly a call for a summit between President Trump, President Putin, and President Xi Jinping. I think if you look at the major problems of the world, from the coronavirus to the situation in Africa, people may know there's a terrible locust plague that's happening in Africa uh, that is affecting the food supply of tens of millions of people. It's extremely dangerous, uh, and there needs to be a concerted global effort to deal with this. The locusts and the viruses, they don't know national borders. So uh, the idea is sovereign nations have to make agreements between each other. Not, I'm not talking about the, uh, the disastrous globalist policies, as they say, of the New World Order. I'm not talking about the British Empire's policies of, you know, of, uh, of one world government, bankers, dictatorship. The solution to that, the opposition to that, is sovereign nations working together, which means we need the leaders of these major nuclear powers to get together and to kind of iron out some things that need to be dealt with. And I think that Trump has got to go over the heads of the Congress in that respect. And then that's going to ripple through. That's going to follow through in terms of the, uh, the domestic policies and sort of what the Congress is capable of thinking about. And the second thing I would say to this is that the other absolutely necessary element to deal with this catastrophe in the Congress to which you're referring 
including the idea of him actually having the house, having the having the, the, the backup that he needs, is that we have got to see Attorney General Barr put people behind bars who started yes. up his attempted coup. And I think that's extreme. That's totally critical. Otherwise, what kind of faith can you have in the government? You can't really have any. And, you know, there's going to be another Vindman and another Charamella and another Bolton lurking, lurking behind every corner. So I, I'm very strongly uh, in favor of, of uh, throwing people behind bars who have committed these crimes. And that means Barr has got to put together, you know, the appropriate um, investigation, the appropriate proof, the appropriate case to, to give them the justice that they deserve. Well, certainly, and I've been, I've been saying that for, you know, a while. But, you know, as after all of this, and, and frankly, I hate to say this, I don't think anything's going to be – I don't think anything's going to happen to anyone. To be honest, I think it's just going to go to the next new cycles, and, and, and that's it. I hope that's not the case because, again, you know, if, if nothing gets done, they'll, you know, people get indicted or arrested or in prison or what have you. And then, yeah, I mean, all of this would have been for naught, in my opinion. But unfortunately, I think that might be where it ends up. Ends up. Let, let's hope I'm wrong. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I do got to get in my, so my own questions, but I don't want to bring in uh, one more caller, and then I'll go to those. Uh, been an interesting mm-hmm. time, but let's go ahead and welcome Pianchi. Thank you very much, Pianchi, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Yeah, thank you very much, and and to Mr. Burke. You know, uh, there's a process with the IRS called the I-10 number. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the I-10 number, individual tax identification number, is given to undocumented or illegal aliens whereas they can keep track of their income. Now, the question is, why are they working anyway? But let's forget that. But they are using, and there's articles on this, with Bank of America and Citibank, C-I-T-I, where they are obtaining home mortgages hmm. using that I-10 number. So why is that important? Well, if you are sitting in your realtor's office and you sign those closing papers, you can go to the election board, show those papers, there's identification showing that you live in that district and register to vote. And we're not talking about a couple dozen. This is billions of dollars in mortgages. That needs to be looked at because that may be the difference in the popular vote that they are claiming mm-hmm. that Hillary Clinton got. And uh, I... Uh, I heard you talking about the alternative energy sources. I agree with you that we should start moving in those directions, but we cannot walk away from fossil fuels because you have millions of Americans that's involved in that and millions of Americans that's dependent on retirement benefits that's derived while they worked in that industry. It has to be something that's done that takes them in consideration. I would bring oil companies in, Exxon, Chevron, and so forth, and talk to them about uh, doing uh, a side thing, working toward that uh, energy source that you just got through talking about. And one other thing, why is it that United States go to the Federal Reserve Hmm. when we want to create money? And we are charged interest on the money when they give directions to the U.S. Treasury to print the money. That doesn't make sense. 
Why come mm-hmm. the U.S. Treasury can't do that? Then we don't have to pay interest because the Treasury is printing the money. Of course, there has to be some physics, uh, some financial uh, behavior involved in this. But why are we paying the Federal Reserve these billions of dollars of interest for money that they print and giving the uh, U.S. Treasury the direction to print the money? That doesn't make sense. Anyway, good luck. <laughs> Thank you very uh, much. Did you want to address those? No, did you want to address those, uh, Daniel? Yeah, I like those. I, I really appreciate those questions and your uh, and your your wish of good luck. Uh, it means a lot to me. The um, uh, so first of all, we should use up all the fossil fuels immediately. I'm completely in favor of getting the fossil fuels out of the ground quickly. And and we have to do it at the same time, that we're building up nuclear power and that we're dedicating ourselves to thermonuclear fusion power. We really have to do both. The people who are claiming that we need to reduce CO2, which is the justification for the eradication of fossil fuels in the world, those people are genocidalists worse than Hitler. If their policy goes forward, you will see far, far, far more people killed by economic deprivation than were killed by the Nazi party in Germany. And this is a policy that's being promoted by, this goes to your third question, this is a policy that's being organized by Mark Carney at the Bank of England, the head of the Bank of England, until very recently. He's stepping down, and uh, he's best friends with Sir Michael Bloomberg, okay, who, the, the, who was uh, given a knight. He was knighted by the Queen in 2014. Mark Carney, as the head of the Bank of England, uh, organized 130 banks across the world, the top banks, into a climate pact. This went into effect last year, in which they stated that any major bank that was involved in financing fossil fuel plants, fossil fuel investments, would be driven out of business. And Michael Bloomberg has made very clear that all coal power plants across the world should be shut down. These are the puppeteers of Greta, who says that, as she said at Davos, that we should go to net, not net zero, but zero carbon emissions in the world within a matter of years. That means basically killing off all of human life, not to mention many other life forms. So it's a completely outrageous. Yeah, she don't know really what she's talking about. She's being used by the left, unfortunately. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And the puppeteers are the central bankers and people like Michael Bloomberg, who is coming in to try to, you know, purchase the Democratic Party nomination in order to enforce these policies on behalf of the global financial oligarchy. So if we want to address this catastrophe of the Federal Reserve of the central banks globally, have to recognize that they're moving right now for population reduction. They're moving right now for policies to eradicate national sovereignty. And they have many, many means by which they're trying to make this happen. But the key thing they're out to do is to try to crush Trump and try to drive a wedge between Trump and the leaders of other uh, sovereign nation states, especially look at the Russiagate phenomenon designed to prevent him from working with Russia. Look at China. There's enormous, enormous attacks on China. I'm here to tell you, don't buy it. 
George Soros as his number one hated figures are Trump and Xi Jinping. Investigate these things on the LaRouche Pack website before you come to any conclusions, because this is a partner for us. These countries, we've got to work with them. That trade deal that Trump got, a phase one trade deal, is a very good step forward. Uh, so those are my thoughts. And we will have, uh, speaking of, uh, Lewis, we will have Mike uh, Billington on next uh, next uh, Wednesday. So we're certainly looking forward uh, to that because he uh, confirmed and you know got our number what time to call. So we will be uh, having uh, Mike Billington on the, the show next week. Right. So, um, that's going to be a fascinating conversation, that's for certain. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that you know I want to go, you know, logistically is, and one of the things I want to make sure because I was looking at is, you know, Wikipedia. I mean, not Wikipedia, but Ballotpedia, and I know a lot of folks use that. And I did see that there is one independent candidate, Louis, uh, I guess, Vergara, on on you know Ballotopia. And I was kind of looking for other candidates, and they, of course, they have the little list of uh, Republicans, uh, list of Democrats, uh, but. I mean, and I don't know how someone would get on on Ballotpedia. Is that something that you've looked into? So, the the key thing is that we we launched this campaign recently, and we're registering with the FEC just now. Uh, you you don't have to register until you've reached a certain threshold of campaign funding. And what we're doing right now is we're driving this thing forward as an independent campaign. I want to make that very clear to your listeners, because my view right now is that in I, I'm not I'm not um, you know dogmatic on this, but in New Jersey, the Republican Party is owned by the Democratic Party, and it is a complete you know nasty situation here in large part, and what you have is a failure of these party apparatuses to do anything. And my view is that I can back up the president's best policy initiatives in the best way and represent my particular political initiatives in the best way as an independent. And so that's what I did when I went to the Trump rally. I brought 25 volunteers to Wildwood, and I spoke to everyone there about the need for people to deal with policy. Because following a simple you know, party party standard is not sufficient at this moment, at this crisis moment, at this opportunity moment. We've got to have like actual serious ideas. And if you look at the people who are in the race, I mean, Cory Booker obviously has a massive advantage, despite the fact that he's a disaster and people largely hate him uh, because of the characteristics of New Jersey, because of how long he's been there. Uh, And the other candidates are primarily Republican candidates. There's a couple of guys who are really not serious candidates at this point. There was someone who ran against Menendez who had more credibility in this respect. You know, that there's a recognition from the Republican Party, as far as I can tell, that this race is something that they're they're not putting on a priority list. But what no, I'm yeah, out sure. to do Yeah, so what I'm out to do is to inject this it's to change the way that people think. So I'm going to the Atlantic City uh, GOP state convention, but I'm going as an independent. And I'm out there to say to them, I've been defending Trump for three years, and I've done a lot more than you guys have. So now you've got to take a look at what would actually make the difference. And two things on that. One is, you know, 
is there a, a, a plan? Are you working on a plan where you can? Because I'm sure there's some, you know, Republicans, certainly independent voters in uh-huh. Jersey who they don't like Booker, they don't like Menendez, they might not even like Democrats. <laughs> so, uh-huh. is there a, you know a strategy to work towards you know gaining you know garnering those voters, like garnering you know the Republicans, the independents, maybe even some Democrats? You know, to vote for you in the election? Definitely. New Jersey has an extremely high percentage of independents and people who are registered independent. It's larger than either Dem- Democrat or Republican Party registration. And, um, you know, there's, there's a the, – the, the state is, has an, an interesting makeup because, of course, the northern part of Jersey, which is where I live, is right next to New York City and heavily, heavily affected by that because a lot of people work in the city. And uh, and then the Central and South Jersey are very, very different animals. And we have um, activists all across the state, uh, particularly in Central and South Jersey, have made a lot of progress. You know, for example, we spent a lot of time talking to Jess Andrew when he was a state assemblyman before he became a congressman and then made this, you know, really important stand against the impeachment. Uh, what our, the LaRouche movement has been campaigning across New Jersey for literally over 40 years. And so we have a great amount of you know, recognition and a lot of contacts throughout the region. And what I'm out to do is to really try to pull these people together. I'm having a town hall meeting this Saturday in Edison, New Jersey, uh, at the Sheraton, if anyone wants to join me there, at 2 p.m. And uh, we're going to continue that kind of motion uh, while I'm reaching out, like I said, I'm going to go to the GOP state convention and I'm going to go to Democrat and independent events. I've spoken at a tea party and especially my focus is to get to the young people. We're going on the campuses, we're attacking the green hoax, and we're actually putting forward these positive policies. I spoke at NJIT on Monday to a, uh, a politics club there and got a very good response from young people who are desperately seeking something hopeful and optimistic to, to work with in the political world. And you were at the, you know, the video I referenced in the beginning of the show, uh, you were at, you were, you know, at a Trump rally and you may have been, you know, one of the few other candidates at, you know, at the Trump rally. Is, is, has there been, or will there be, an effort to actually reach out to Trump to perhaps see if there's a way he can actually come out and show his support. I mean, because I, I watched a video of you know of the you know some research and it's I mean yeah there's other candidates you know that you know have have thrown uh, I can't remember her name right now who um, would be one of the at least not a Republican rival because you're you know independent of, uh, but you know Flanagan she ran against probably. Booker and the I'm sorry yeah Flanagan. Yeah, that's exactly it, Flanagan. I, I can't remember her first name, but yeah, Flanagan. And then, you know, so she said how she supports Trump, but I mean, I would say not to the extent. I mean, I know she's put tweets out there about the impeachment, like, oh, yeah, he was acquitted, and things of that nature. Uh, but I think what the focus here is, yeah, Republicans saying, great, you know, the, the president uh, was acquitted. But there's actually a policy that he is, you know, promoting that you are right on board with him yeah. i mean right on board with him and i'm just you know wonder if maybe through that and i'm sure you know in another uh, another topics you know other issues but i mean that could be something where if 
you know, your people reach out to the Trump or Trump campaign and see if there's a way you could come out and, you know, support you. I mean, I, it couldn't hurt. I mean, Dem- you know, it might hurt with some Democrats, <laughs> but I don't think with independents well, or, or Republicans. Well, I mean, what do you think? Um, I think anything is possible right now. You know, anything is possible. We went to the Trump rally. Uh, we brought 25 people. We had all had big, beautiful signs that said Burke for Senate on it. We sang. The whole reason I got that, uh, I, I had that interview with America's Voice was because they saw us singing. We had a chorus. We sang the Star Spangled Banner four verses in four voices. We, had, we sang uh, the Daniel Burke for Senate campaign song, which we wrote. <laughs> we sang uh, Beethoven, Andi Freude, the Ode to Joy from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, and, uh, and many other patriotic songs as well. Uh, and we got a beautiful response from the people there. I looked around. We were, you know, the, the, the Wildwood Rally was insane. It was just incredible how many people were there. And uh, we, we saturated about half of the people with our material. We got out thousands and thousands and thousands of leaflets um, that said, end the coup, colonize Mars. And it included a picture of me next to the sign, defend Trump from the coup, because I had been campaigning with that sign. I've been doing that for three years all across the New Jersey, New York uh, region. And um, I looked around. There were two other Senate candidates there. And uh, um, they had very little visible presence. We had young people. Tw- in the, with our youngest uh, campaigner out there was uh, was 20, and we had uh, a, a bunch of people in their 20s and early 30s who were working with us. We're really getting a very good response from them. I had a bunch of people asking to take my picture with me. Um, so I guess I'm just sharing this with you because I I know that we have the advantage in terms of the passion, and we, we have a lot of people who are working with us. I need help. Our campaign needs help. Our national movement needs help. We need, In other words, we need to get people to be actively discussing and promoting these ideas. That's what's really most important. And I agree with you that there's this incredible consonance on the issue of the Artemis program, on the issue of the space program. Let me make one f- further point. My very good friend, Keisha Rogers, is a relatively well-known figure in politics in Texas. She's quite well-known because she ran as a Democrat to impeach Obama and save NASA multiple times and won the Democratic uh, uh, primary uh, multiple times and then actually got second in the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate. After that, she ran as – when Trump came in, she – decided to run as an independent. We were never running, you know, because we supported the Democratic Party's values, but because we were trying to, you know, actually resurrect the JFK Democratic Party at that time. And uh, and then she ran as an independent against Al Green, greedy Al Green down in Texas, who was promoting the impeachment of Trump. And she attacked him very, very hard. She had you know, a public conversation with Jim Bridenstine, who was the ha- administrator of NASA, about five months ago at the uh, Rice University, which was an opportunity to celebrate John Kennedy's Rice University speech in 1962. And she had uh, told him that we're fighting for this space program. He said, I want to help you however I can. That's what he said. And then he said, look, people need to understand that NASA doesn't have a scientific problem. It doesn't have a technical problem. 
it has a political problem. And mm-hmm. we have to make sure that this Artemis mission lands on the moon by 2024. That's the last year of President Trump's second term, assuming that we can get him that second term. And that would, that's actually – if he does if we don't do it by then, then we have no guarantee. Like the earlier caller said, we don't know what's going to happen after 2024. Well, we got to fight now to actually make the breakthrough in these key policies, uh, overcome this logjam in the Congress, or not worse than logjam, these tra- traitors in the Congress, and, and, and get this policy through. So I'm dedicated to doing that. If that means that Trump's going to come in and support my campaign, that would be tremendous. But in the meanwhile, I know what I'm supporting. Well, you know, certainly, as, as I said, I, I you know, think that you're, you know, what you're promoting, you know, in your agenda is it, it transcends ideology. I mean, I, I truly believe that's why I believe that you could get, you know, independents, of course, on board, you know, Republicans, maybe even some Democrats, is I think that, you know, topics up you know it's about the economy right how how's the economy going bad i mean you know yeah. how's that a, a bad you know thing for anyone i mean even for people who want to increase the amount of social programs you mentioned earlier for every do- dollar uh invested in the space program you know you get a ten dollar return i mean you know so that that helps everyone across the board you know, regardless of you know ideology so I, I certainly think that you know what you're promoting does you know, transcend that and also I mean, I think we also are living in, you know, a very, you know, negative uh, vitriolic time where, you know, you're promoting something that, as you, you stated, is optimism. I mean, we, we, you know, you're seeing that, oh, you know, and I consider myself a conservative environmentalist, so all this gloom and doom, uh, you know, and, and things of that nature, I think it can be addressed. The environment can be addressed, but not in the way that the liberals are trying to do it. I think they're trying to just instill fear in people. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I know there's different, you know, media is like, uh, that maybe to to look into. There's a uh, oh, what's it called? One um, One American News. I mean, that's a new uh, a new news mm-hmm. organization that's recently come on uh, the cable programs. I've been you know kind of watching that. I mean, you know, I, that they might be a, a place to reach out to uh, to you know, you know do interviews and things of that nature. I know it's national, kind of like our program here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not like focused in New Jersey. I mean, we're we're heard all around the states and, and callers from all around. But, you know, definitely, you know, to, to get the word out there, and who knows, I mean, one of the things we had here at uh, Bard's Logic is we had a gentleman named Jim Connor Jr. who uh, was working on getting a letter to Trump during the 2016 campaign, and he was finally actually able to <laughs> literally, yeah, not in a bad way, but literally, you know, break through all the crowds and the, you know, uh-huh. not the security, but, I mean, was able to get this letter to Trump uh, about, you know, watching out for electronic voter fraud. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, shortly after he got the letter to him, uh, you know, Trump started talking about, hey, let's, we need to be careful uh, about that, and, and, and that's a, a show for another day. And when certainly we we really want to have you on, at least I know I want to, you know, and I'm sure by all wants to have you on again, I certainly want to follow your campaign uh, and see how that goes. Um, but I do see that there's only a couple of minutes left, um, and so, you know, the other callers, uh, Pianchi uh, dropped, we've got, still got other callers, but... Joseph, we'll get you back in after you know our guest. Maybe Pianchi uh, will call back in. We got others again, but there's only a couple minutes. I know you say you'd be able to give us an hour, uh, so I want to you know see if you have any closing call, uh, thoughts, anything you want to uh, get out before you have to go for the for the evening. Um, again, folks, go to uh, his website uh, www.burke the uh, letter the number four uh, senate.com. That's Burke uh, with an e 
uh, for Senate.com. But go ahead uh, if you have any closing you know, thoughts or anything you'd like to, to say about before you have to go. Well, uh, first of all, I'm just really uh, grateful to you for the, uh, reaching out, and uh, I'm really glad that you and Hector got together at the Trump rally, I believe, in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, because we are part of a national movement and an international movement that's really working uh, just urgently to try to make a breakthrough in what uh, in what's going on in the world. I see a tremendous crisis, but an incredible opportunity to break out of this stupid paradigm that we've been in, that we have a, and you know, I mean, what we have from Trump gives us the potential to do that. I'd love to come on again soon, and I want to request of your uh, of your uh, listeners to please help my campaign. You know, if you get on the website, you can make a small contribution. You can make a large contribution, whatever you like. And we're going to use that like mad to actually do this uh, campaign in a way that's not pragmatic. I'm not going to anyone in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or any of the big money bags and saying, you know, here's what I'm willing to do if you'll give me some money. I'm I'm really just going to people and saying this is a matter of of truth. This is a matter of the future of our country, and uh, we had better act now or we will not have, uh, you know, we won't actually see our republic flourish. We won't actually see a better life for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. So I want to, in conclusion, um, my strongest urging to people is to take the opportunity to investigate this gentleman, Lyndon LaRouche. Uh, all of the things that I spoke about today, I was inspired to think about by him. Uh, I became a, a part of this movement. I've started working with this organization, the LaRouche Movement uh, and the LaRouche Political Action Committee, about eight years ago. And uh, Mr. LaRouche was just incredibly active in his late 80s and into his 90s. Until he was about 95, he was producing just tremendous amounts of written material. He was speaking at length publicly uh, very frequently. You can see all of his beautiful speeches online, or many of them rather. And uh, he, he died a year ago today. Uh, and I think that oh, wow. if, you would, you would, if you would investigate this gentleman, you would find out this man who was put in prison by Robert Mueller 30 years ago, you would really find something of an American hero that would give a certain perspective for what more we could do, given that we have uh, the chance that we have in front of us. Um, so that's my sort of final message to people. And I can urge people to go to the LaRouche PAC website to see some of that material. Yeah, certainly. And, and, and one last comment before you got to go is I, I think you made a, mm -hmm. very, uh, a very important point is that in the next four years, and, and I, I truly believe this, mm -hmm. is that in the next four years, especially, you know, getting Trump reelected and getting folks like yourself seriously, you know, uh, elected as well, that actually have, yes. you know, a voice in the halls of, you know, of Congress, halls of the Senate, halls of power, to have a voice uh, such as yourself and your voice there. I think it's important because if we don't do it, and I agree, in these next four years, or if, we allow, if they allow Trump to, to, to you know, not be reelected or even folks like mm -hmm. yourself not i think this is it because if we're not because look at what you know one look at the and i think we'll talk more about this maybe next week uh with bill but i mean we haven't been back to the moon in 40 years right and yeah. you know and also i look at what obama did to the space program yes. i mean i mean yes. he shut down he shut down the shuttle 
And so if, if we get another Democrat in there, you can kiss the space program goodbye. Oh, absolutely. And you can get all this and go back to all the globalists. I, I you know, I, yeah. I, you, you're just absolutely right. I campaigned for five years to impeach Obama. We had the famous picture of Obama with a Hitler mustache on it. And uh, LaRouche called for Obama to be impeached because specifically of the cutting of the manned space program, uh, which is like killing the future. It's just killing the future. Uh, I, think you're, I think you're absolutely positively right. First of all, Bloomberg financed the woman Horn, who introduced the, the bill. She's an Oklahoma Democrat in the House, who introduced the bill in the Congress, which is threatening Artemis's um, funding. People should really fight on this. You should call into your congressman now, and you should tell them, look, I hear that the Artemis program is under attack. I support what President Trump said in the, in the State of the Union address, which I'm sure all your listeners heard. He said, I'm calling on the Congress to get full funding to this program, the Artemis program, to put the first, so that the United States is putting a flag on Mars. And that is you know, I would think that that's really critical. Bloomberg financed that. He's opposing space travel. He's opposing the future. And Bernie Sanders is going to do the same thing because his policies are the same as Bloomberg's. They, you know, supposedly it's a billionaire versus a socialist, but really they're both totally committed to policies that are not about cleaning up the air and the water. They're not about actually tra taking care of our environment. They're about population reduction. And I would remind your your, visit, your, your listeners to the, of the fact that, uh, you know, it was about four months ago that Bernie Sanders was at a climate change town hall in, uh, you know, in CNN. And he was asked by a woman uh, who claimed to be a school teacher. She said, in the past 50 years, human population growth has doubled, population growth rates has double, have doubled. What will you do to help us to address this problem of overpopulation? And he said, you know, he had this horrible statement where he said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to poor countries and help them have abortions. That's what we're going to help do to stop, you know, to stop the tide of, of global warming. This is the worst totalitarianism in the entire, you could imagine. It's just the worst thing you could possibly imagine. It's global bankers dictatorship run from the standpoint of killing off as many people as possible. That's what we're up against. And if we want to create a better future, it's totally going to rely on what we can do over the next five years. Yes, the next 10 months. Yes, this is very important, and I want to be elected. I'm not, I'm not out there doing some kind of you know, a, a protest game or something like that. I want to be elected. I'm doing everything I can to do that. But we have to stand by principles you know, to make that happen, which is, I think, what President Trump did. We've got to take that as an inspiration to really fight for your personal view of what we could make happen over the next couple of generations. If we get this set up, we can make look in 2024 to having a, a rich and beautiful movement of American patriots who represent the interests of the American population and look to solve big problems for humanity. Well, yeah, and, it, and again, it's, uh, it's optimism. And I don't, I don't think the Democrats yeah. are, are showing any type of optimism. Uh, when it when it comes to the future of America, and and, and because the optimism for America, if that exists, then their agenda is going to fail. And, and think about that. Okay. Their, their their agenda, you know, is not is not for America. <laughs> their agenda is for America to fail, and so they can't have op. You can't have optimism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why they attack the founding fathers. That's why they say the country was founded by slave owners for slave owners and all this stuff that is absolutely not true. 
And all you got to do is read Hamilton. All you got to do is read Benjamin Franklin to see that, you know, the real purpose of the United States is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's based on an idea of, you know, of the inalienable rights of man. Let's, let's fight for that. And, uh, I think if we do that, then these then these people will kind of turn to dust and and float away. Yeah, and one of my favorite quotes is by uh, George William Curtis. You know, it says, "A man's country is not a certain area of land, of mountains, mm. rivers, and woods, but it is of a principle, and patriotism is a loyalty to that principle." One of my favorite quotes <laughs> of that. Robert, you, know, you, have, you, you, about, have you know, about principles. Oh, you, you know, I just want to uh, commend you, and you've made me uh, you you've turned me into a listener. I'm definitely going to hear more about what you're doing uh, on your program. Oh, well, I appreciate it. I see a lot. I, I I agree with what you stated at the beginning. We have a lot. Um, we have a lot in common in terms of our uh, our outlook, and uh, so I really appreciate the time to come on your program. Oh, you're welcome. We're definitely going to uh, you, you know reach out. Uh, you know, know more. You know about your campaign. Keep updated on it. You know, keep us updated on how your campaign's doing. Uh, you know, if you're on Twitter, you know, folks, if you're on a, on a Twitter user, go out, you know, follow them on Twitter. You know, retweet, you know, if tweets to all your followers uh, there. You know, reach out, you know. I, I, you know, the Trump, I know he's run for Senate. I mean, I, I think that would could help, you know, boost him out. I mean, I see how you're, you know, supporting the president. And you both can use each other's support, certainly. Uh, out there, so we're yeah. really going to. And then also, I want to have y'all talk about about you know, about Britain. I mean, that really, when I was reading that on your uh, your website, you know, I'm going to, you know, well, we definitely want to talk more about that. So, well, definitely uh, looking forward to having you back on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Robert. All right, take care, and and uh, yeah, and and definitely, and I I didn't. I, that's the only thing I neglected to say was that I'm really active on Twitter on at at Burke for Senate with the number four. I'm also on Facebook with the same handle. I'm on Instagram with the same handle. So that's one way that people can follow me. Thank you very much for having me on, Robert. Oh, you're welcome. You have a good night, and uh, take care. Thanks very much. You too. Good night. Yeah, it's definitely, folks. So check that out. That's uh, BurkeForSenate.com. Uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, oh, we, uh, Bianchi went. I was going to hope he'd uh, stay on, but we do have uh, – we do have Joseph back on the line. Uh, thank you very much for coming back in, Joseph. Uh, I tell you what, I was, you know, again, I was looking at the website and, you know, you know, watching that video. He talks about optimism. I mean, wow, can we certainly use some optimism, you know, <laughs> today in today's politics. Absolutely. Um, you know, we need a lot of optimism, and. Uh, I mean, I feel strongly optimistic in the direction and where the country is going, both on domestic and foreign policy and on fiscal matters as well. And I love the direction in which we're going in, um, but not the vitriol. I mean, it's just, it's a shame what, what, what this country has come to. And um, I commend the candidate uh, for not wanting to, um, you know, choose a side. But, you know, it's, it's really tough if you're not running either as a progressive or a Republican because then it's, it's tough to not get the financial support of the party. And that's, that's going to be a big challenge for him, but, of course, I wish him the best. And, unfortunately, if we did have a third-party system like uh, they have in uh, Ireland, as you and I have 
discussed before and agree on. Uh, I think more candidates like that individual would actually be able to thrive and be successful. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not being pessimistic, but, you know, the, that's just the nature of the beast. You know, you when you when you decide to not run along party lines, then it's really hard to uh, garner the funds that you need to to wage a viable campaign. It's it's not easy, not easy at all. Um, but if I have to choose the lesser of the two evils, I mean, absolutely. Uh, what the Democratic Party is today is what this country has despised for over 200 years. We never supported socialism. We never supported communism. Uh, you know, uh, World War II, we fought the Germans, and we fought the, the, Jap- the, the Japanese, and we fought the Italians. We, we, we stole some over 50 million lives were lost in World War II. A lot of American lives were lost in the pursuit of fighting fascism and socialism. And then in the 1950s, you know, uh, fighting communism and in the 60s. And so if our politicians who were alive back then, they're probably rolling over in their graves, even progressives of all people, because we've never had anyone espousing socialism or communism until the age of Obama, and that's when it started gradually um, beginning to be embraced. Um, you know, so this is a whole new concept, and it's a very scary concept, and it's a very scary ideology. And like I said, the liberals today um, are doing a disgrace to every single other progressive who may have been wrong on a lot of things, may have been right on a lot of things, but one thing that Republicans and Democrats have always agreed on was that socialism and communism and fascism, they're diseases. They're diseases in plague, and in this beautiful country of ours, you can escape from those countries that deprive you of your human rights, that deprive you of any rights whatsoever and freedom, and you can come and live the pursuit of happiness. I mean, people die all the time crossing the border, being smuggled on ships from China to escape that. So, And then you hear liberals espousing that. I, they have no clue what they're espousing. I challenge a liberal, and only a liberal who supports that, because it wouldn't be fair for me to put everyone in the same category, because everyone is not in the same category. And then I, I'd be playing the game that the fake news media is doing which they're putting every Trump supporter in the same category, one size fits all. But my challenge is go to Venezuela, not as a tourist. Go to Cuba, not as a tourist. Go to Beijing, not as a tourist. Try being a resident there. You see how quickly you come running back and you'll never want to say the words communism, socialism, and fascism. And that's a challenge that I would throw down to anyone who's going to come and argue that point Okay, well, you know what? Back it up with your actions. Talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. Actually go to those countries. And then you tell me six months later, how do you like them bunch of apples? And I'll defer back to you, Robert. Well, yeah, and that's, and that's true, and that's a very, and that's a very good point. Uh, you know, just, you know, they, they want to tout socialism. They want to, you know, almost darn near, you know, communism. Uh, now, of course, you know, 
Trump sitting here said, oh, he's a communist, but he's like, no, I'm not. I'm not a communist, <laughs> you know, but I think we, um, you know, and talk about Bernie Sanders and you can think about, well, think about, it. could you imagine uh, a, a debate between Bernie Sanders and uh, a, a debate between Bernie Sanders and, and Trump? I mean, that would just be amazing. Now, now just because he's had these two wins, you know, that, I'm not saying that, you know, that's going to say that, that, you know, Trump is, I mean, my Trump, that Bernie is, is going to win the, you know, the primary. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to win, you know, win the nomination for, you know, because there's still lots and lots of states. No, I think this, this, this hurt Biden. And I do think that the impeachment actually hurt, uh, hurt Biden too, actually. I mean, I, I think it really did. Sorry about that, Robert. Uh, that's uh, my uh, wonderful cell phone carrier. It's it's they've been doing some work on the <laughs> yeah, phone. Have a, so yeah, I have AT and T. I'm out now. I'm out. <laughs> no, I have T-Mobile, but uh, in the Waikiki area, they're working on the tower, so they say. But uh, who knows? Uh, no, yeah, um, you know, um, uh, I like to see what the other side has to say, because it's, I'm just always curious to see what the other side has to say. And so far, what I have ascertained from CNN, because MSNBC, I can only tolerate about 20 minutes of it before I, before I feel like <laughs> actually uh, puking. So at least CNN I can stomach. And what I'm gathering is that the establishment and the majority of the progressive base do not support Bernie Sanders, AOC, the Green New Deal. They don't support uh, socialism. They are actually moderate. The problem is they're too afraid to call out their own base. But what the CNN Democratic analysts were saying is that Bernie, now they're not pushing Bernie. Now all of a sudden everyone is uh, going behind Buttigieg. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Buttigieg. Ah, who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? Buttigieg. Because it is remarkable that he was able to win Iowa. He came in second in New Hampshire. What does that say? It's because he's the most moderate male on the stage, and Klobuchar is the most moderate female on the stage. Because Dems know, and even their own base knows, the majority of them, is a Bernie Sanders can't win. A AOC can't win. Socialism, the Green New Deal, they can't win. Even Bill Maher has went as far to say many times on his show, even though I'm not a fan of his, is progressives better wake up and go back to being moderate or we're going to lose in 2020. And that's a lot coming from Bill Maher. So uh, at the end of the day, the problem is the base is not pushing or they're not willing to stand up and put their foot down and say, no, this is not what, these are not the issues we care about. And Steyer said it best in the last debate in, um, in Iowa. Or I believe it was New Hampshire. I'm not sure. Uh, Steyer, uh, the, one of the candidates, the Democratic candidates. And he says, you know what? We need to stop talking about all these issues, Medicare for all, free college for all. If we don't discuss real strategies on how we're going to defeat Trump, we stand no chance. 
and he received the loudest applause of the night for that line because he couldn't have said it any better. You know, he he was trying to uh, awake the other candidates from their dogmatic slumber, and he called all the, all of them out. And back then, Yang was still on the ballot, uh, which he dropped out, which that that was the inevitable. We knew he wasn't going to last too long. Uh, darn it, Robert! I was counting on that thousand dollars a month. Jeez, what am I going to do? Well, I mean, I reached I reached out to the Yang campaign because I mean I I wanted to talk about that. Cause we had a caller come in. An eight four five will get you in uh, shortly. Uh, and from the other end of the country, you're from Hawaii. Uh, eight four five New York. Uh, but I mean, we we did reach out to the end campaign to have him on because I knew uh, we had a gentleman who was from uh, where did he call from? Oh gosh, it, it's not even in the country. <laughs> He's not even from the country. He was calling Singapore. And uh, we had a guy from Singapore who mentioned Yang because uh, he, he follows American politics, uh, this guy. And, and you mentioned, I was like, ah, you know, we'll reach out with anybody on the show. But uh, we reached out, and unfortunately, they didn't, you know, do it. So, I mean, I would have liked to have talked about that. But, yeah, I mean, I could, I can, you know, handle an extra $1,000 in my in my pocket. Now, of course, <laughs> what they're willing to do, like they're doing for social security, they're going to tax it. So we didn't end up with 500 sure. but <laughs> – Exactly. So I'll leave you with this because I know you have all the callers. Uh, what, what does that say that everyone is now rallying around Buttigieg? Now, now CNN, now they're in love with him. Now they're even calling him the co-front runner. So, you know, they're just confused, the, the base. But at the end of the day, it shows you that in these early caucus states, the majority of the of progressives, they want to vote. They want someone moderate. They don't want a Bernie. They don't want an Elizabeth Warren. And for God's sake, we don't want another Biden. He was a horrible vice president for eight years, along with who will probably go down in history as the worst president in U.S. history. So Jimmy Carter can thank Obama for that. Uh, he, you know, Carter used to hold that uh, mantle. So he must <laughs> right. be saying, thank God, I, I, I'd rather be considered second worst. So, you know, and when Biden first announced, I knew he never had a chance in heck. Uh, the fact that Obama never came out in support of him, what does that say? Uh, a, what we already knew about Obama, he's, he has no loyalty to those who are loyal. And that's the one thing that I, the only positive thing I'll say about Biden was Biden was loyal to Obama. Obama will yeah. throw his own mother under the bus if she were still alive. That's the sad part. Because never once has he come out and said one positive word about Biden especially when Kamala Harris was still in the race and she was accusing Biden of supporting uh, the buses that were carrying, uh, I can't remember, some issue about the buses that were not carrying the African-Americans back in, in the segregation days um, to the public schools or something like that. And, you know, that was, you would think Obama would come out and defend the vice president. And at least just say, hey, I'm not endorsing him, but I know Biden. He was my vice president for eight years. He's not a racist. And they threw him under the bus. So that just goes to show you, you know, Obama can't be trusted whatsoever. So at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to either Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar, which in the end, they still don't chance, stand a chance in hell against Trump. And I'll, I'll leave it at that for the next call that can chime in. No, and, and I agree. I mean, it's, I, I, personally, I, I, I think it would be 
become between those two, I think it would be Klobuchar, which would be interesting. Uh, but yeah, so I'm you know, didn't get do any green rooming, so I'm just uh, going by the uh, by the area code because I'm not going to, of course, announce someone's phone number over the over the, the call here. So go ahead, uh, New York. Thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing fine. I called in, I think, before. This is Mike up in New York. I'm one of the few Mike, conservatives yep. Yep, that are left up here mm-hmm. in New York. And uh, But anyway, you know, I'm, from what I see up here in New York being surrounded, we're outnumbered three, some places four to one. And in my county, Westchester County, we just had news three, four days ago that the only Republican legislator we had left in the county just flipped and decided that he's now registering as a Democrat. So now we have no Republicans on here. What people don't understand is they're getting a steady dose of the propaganda and everything from the media, and they keep questioning. It plants the seed of doubt. And instead of realizing that none of them are going to be Trump, and looking at it objectively with the numbers and everything else and realizing that all of this, the Democratic, they, their competitions and trying to find which, uh, whether it's going to be Buttigieg or Biden, or a, it's futile. It's a waste of time. And that how many Democrats are actually quietly, silently going to vote for Trump themselves? And I had something interesting happen this weekend. I was upstate and I went into an antique mall. And there were two old ladies. One was like in her 80s sitting at the desk, and the other one was like in her 70s. And, all right, I'm in my 60s. And, uh, and I asked her, you know, I collect military World War II stuff. Oh, let me show you over here the case. And, we're, and my humor's warped anyway. We get up to this one case, and I saw the, the Aunt Jemima um, salt and pepper shakers. You know the ones I mean? The, the old style out of the 30s and 40s. Oh, yeah. was mm-hmm. the, the black man and the old black lady, and, and they were salt that was part of Americana back then. Okay, that's, it's in an antique shop. That's where it belongs. Okay, that's fine. But the, to the old woman, I turned over the straight face and I said, oh, my God, I can't believe you have that in there. That's racist. And now she looked at me horrified. And I said, calm down. I'm joking with you. I'm not politically correct. That's an antique. It's history. It should be safe. Good thing you have it. And I said, I don't agree with any of this politically correct garbage or any of it. And she looked at me, she looked to her right, looked to her left, the old woman, and she said, I'll have you know that I'm a Trump supporter. And I said, well, well, I'll tell you what, I'll have you know that I am too. And she said, but we have to be quiet because a lot of the dealers and everybody, we're up in state New York here, a lot of them are, are millennials and, and a lot of them are younger and they're liberals and they're just out of their minds. But she said, I've heard from many of them that they have investments in their portfolios and their stocks and their retirement, pay, and they're not going to risk it by voting for any of these other people, they're voting for Trump, even though they come out openly and say they're anti-Trump. And it's true. It's, they're hypocrites, but when it comes down to their wallet and their investments and their money, their retirement, their future financially, you think they're going to risk it on Bernie? That's a very good point. And it, gosh, wouldn't it be something if he could flip New York? I mean, that's uh, highly unlikely, in my opinion. But could you imagine? <laughs> it would be unbelievable. It would be funny as hell. It really would. And and now, I mean, we see it little by little. No matter what they say, the rhetoric and everything, the hypocrisy out of these people. That thing uh, with uh, Cuomo right now, where, where we have a problem going on, where Trump now is took them off the list, where you can't go through the advance, whatever, at the airports, the security thing, because Cuomo started issuing licenses to the illegals. So the federal government doesn't trust your IDs in, in New York, your licenses. You need the real ID, and they don't even trust them now. You've got to – it's involved. And because uh, Cuomo 
restricted. He will not allow any federal law enforcement agency have access to the DMV records now, ICE or anybody else. So because he wow. did that, Trump said, oh, okay, you don't want to play, so then this is what we're going to do. Anybody with a New York ID now. So then everybody freaked out, and they said, oh, that evil Trump, the orange man, oh, that bad, evil man. Now what happened today? Cuomo came out and said he's going to meet with Trump today and allow them to have access to the DMV. <laughs> they're hypocrites. No matter what they do, they oh yeah, what they do. big time. And but the old woman, it was interesting to see that old woman say. And then we walked up to the front. I went to cash out, and she turned to the eighty-year-old woman and and said, "You know, Marge, he's one of us. He's a Trump supporter." And she said, "Good for you." <laughs> it's hilarious. I but it, it, I it's a shame. I mean, seriously, and you gotta and you gotta hide it. In some places, you literally <laughs> fear yes. for your physical yep. safety. Yes. And she told me that. She said, you know, my husband died last year, and I bought him a Trump hat. But I told him, I said, don't wear it in public. They'll beat you up. And he said, I'll wear it whenever I want. And she said, my son took it to Florida, and he wears it in Florida. And uh, she said, nobody says a word to him down there. And they are really, I don't know what, it's so complex, the attitude, whether it's like spoiled brats, or it's become a cult. You're, you're, you're trying to, I mean, I'm on a couple of closed Facebook pages where they debate with a lot of these people and a lot of the Bernie maniacs. And uh, it's like dealing with a cult member. They are just, they don't want to hear it. They if you put up anything to back up what you're saying, it, it's, they'll look at the source rather than what's being said or who said it. Even if there's a video clip of the person saying it, no, you can't put that up. That's from Fox. That doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. They're, they're brainwashed cult members. So, which, which is uh, ironic. They, they, that, that's what they claim. Oh, you guys are the cult of Trump or whatever. Yes. Or, of course, and if you're on Twitter, which I spend more time on Twitter than I do Facebook, but on Twitter, if you, if you say anything you know, I, I, you know, to counter what they're saying, oh, you must be a bot or a Russian asset. Oh, you're a Russian yeah. bot. <laughs> yeah. Well, another one they're hitting me with, they're, they're calling me a boomer. Okay, boomer. Thanks. Yep, boomer. Yeah, all right. Um, anything to put you down, you know, if, if they don't like the message, that's it. They'll attack you. And uh, But so it's I, – I think that – and I've seen it with Republicans up here. A lot of them, the majority – and I'm active with the, with the party, if you want to call it that. Um, I'm a committeeman. But I've seen them where they're, they're not even rhinos. These people are convinced that they are still, I've been a Republican all my life. Yes, but you've had a steady diet of propaganda from the machine. And look where we are, Westchester. We're like a few miles above Mordor. So you've been getting a steady (laughs) diet of the propaganda. You've been brainwashed by it, and you've embraced it without even realizing that you're believing a lot of what you've been indoctrinated with. Oh, because it did. Yeah, real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and and regardless of what, and you know, I call them the alphabet channels. But regardless of whatever alphabet channel you go to, uh, now I can't say that because there's a new alphabet channel out there that I've been I've been watching. I mentioned earlier tonight, and that's OAN, and that's uh, uh, One American Network, and that's a that's a new network. It's supposed to you know be more even more conservative than Fox News because some people are kind of like, yeah, what's going on with Fox News? Some of the people like. Like Judge Napolitano, which he drives me nuts because I have a, yeah. 
I have a, I have a local talk show host that features him every Wednesday morning, you know, at 8:30 uh, a.m. And I'm, and, and I'm like, and people hate this guy. I mean, I mean, he is male. I think I've, and I've met this, this talk show host at some fundraisers and things of that nature. And now we've emailed a couple of times, but you know, I'm like, you're giving this guy a platform, you know, he's like, Oh, well, I like having him on the show. Cause I like to have people of differing views, but it's like, you know, I, I think he likes having him on because he feels like because it's all oh, Judge Napolitano, you know, on national, you know, t- you know, national TV shows like on Fox News and stuff. I think he feels it gives his, his show gravitas. I mean, that's what yeah. I think. I mean, I think that's why he likes hey, having him on. It feels like he, he gives us gravitas. But Napolitano, I can't stand Napolitano. No, he used to he used to come out with some good stuff before. Something happened to him and he changed. I, I don't know. Trump derangement it. syndrome. It's got to be. I just I don't remember him being like that. I'm like, what happened to this guy? Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's bizarre, but you know, in the end, I mean, like I told all of them, that really drives them nuts. History's going to end up judging it, and they're going to look at all of you like you're complete. You know that there are going to be courses uh, offered in universities a hundred years from now studying what happened to the American public. What turned them into zombies like this maniacs where they were so anti-Trump? And look at he was the best president that we have in how many years? Well, because you get the alphabet media. I mean, they even they even say it's an echo chamber, Mike, and, yeah. and they even say the same words and the same phrases. I mean, you could flip through any channel and they're saying the same words or the same phrases. It's like it's an echo chamber, and, and that's that when is. that is where your 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 you know your liberal population. You know, because I don't like the word rank and file, but if you get your liberal population, and I see a lot of them again on Twitter, is it, it, that, you know, that, and because it really is true. The, the the premise really is true. If you hear something enough, you begin to believe it, and that's what happens. Yes. That's what's happened to these people. They get all these different media channels to say the same words, same phrases, and have the same narrative. They start they start believing it. It could be an outface, bold lie, but you have so many media outlets. Continually, constantly saying it, they're like, "What? Well, you know, they think what's well, got to be true." You know, I did a complete presentation and I posted it on the thing because that way, and I was very careful. My everything, my verbiage, everything on it that I wrote, it was on Facebook, on my page. On, um, I was a bit of a historian and collector. I've collected military for over fifty years, fifty-five years. I've loaned stuff to the History Channel and a lot of museums, and and I have uh, quite a selection of Nazi propaganda radios. Now these were subsid- the, the Nazis subsidized radio electronics companies to produce these radios at a cheap rate where everybody could afford to have a, a radio to get the, the the BS directly from the party, so that you know I mean televisions weren't like what it is, so that way they could have a radio, and um, and I, I gave the history of it, I showed them, I explained it and everything, and and I said you in the end I said you've got to be careful what you're listening to these tools even what these radios represent. And I, I said, it's all of the all of the techniques and everything are still in play today, and you don't get it. They don't even want to hear it. They don't even want to face it. They don't want to. It's even when you give them history, historic fact, they don't want to accept it. They just. It's very frustrating. To, even when you're handing something, a piece of history is an example on a platter. Even under gun control, I put up a poster that I have in my collection. Um, that was produced by the Nazis, and it's written in German and Dutch. Every country they went into, they put up these posters, which would give the new rules, you know, of, of whether, no matter what the subject was. 
Um, and this ha- one happened to be about gun control. And it said that you've got 24 hours to turn on all firearms under penalty of death. Ammunition, crossbows, handguns. And it's the real thing. I got it from a veteran who brought it home. He had no idea what it said. He just thought it was cool. It had a needle and a swastika and brought it home. And, and I said, this is what you're toying with. Do you understand? And a bunch of them came in at me and they said, you Photoshopped that. That's not real. <laughs> how, do you, how do you discuss How do you fight that? It's like, I, I, I don't get it. Let's burn the museums. It doesn't fit the way we think in our agenda. No, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who these people are anymore. It's, and they say that, well, we're divided. We have to come together and just uh, not with what you're doing. I don't see that happening. Well, and, and see, that's why I think that, you know, with, with our guest tonight, and, and he's closer to you than he is me. He's, he's from, you know, from New Jersey. And I, I really do. I think that the message that him and the LaRouche Pack are, are, you know, putting out there, it's one of optimism. It's, it's one that I think can cross, you know, both sides of the aisle. I think it's non, you know, ideological. I mean, it's about, yeah. you know, having a new economy, a, a future, you know, a future economy, and, and which brings up everyone. I mean, seriously, if you have more money because you have this economy, then, you know, hey, well, maybe we won't be so upset about, you know, spending all this money on these social programs like illegal aliens because we can actually afford to do it, but we, you know, with the, we can't now. I mean, we, we've no. got our own citizens and, you know, and our own you know, veterans and things of that nature to take care of uh, you know, or, and try to you know, promote them to, to work for them, you know, themselves instead of having you know, these illegals come in and not skills to really get a job. I mean, they immediately are able to get you know, through their children are able to get on the social safety net, and that's not just getting food stamps. I mean, that's you know, free medic, 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 you know, Medicare they want to do, and then they want to give them, you know, uh, free, uh, you know, you know, public school system and everything of that nature. And it's not free; well, consumers paying for it, right? Yeah, it's, they're paying for, it, but a lot of other their other programs, I mean, are such failures. Like here in New York, the thing about no bail. I mean, we just had that lady in her nineties. That was uh, raped and, and murdered by the guy that the city of New York protected him from ICE. So now they don't know what to say, and it's been thrown back in their face, and, and they're upset. The liberals are like, well, that's not showing, and I throw it back at them. Show, tell us more about your compassion. Your compassion costs lives. Your warped version of compassion costs lives. What is it to discuss? Tell us more about it. Um, it, it's very frustrating up here, and it's different. I mean, the problems that we have up here in New York, and, and I'd consider California to be in the same league with us, uh, somebody that's in Wyoming or the Midwest or down south, they're not going to get it because they're not facing the same, uh, you know, I mean, New Jersey is. New Jersey's got a lot of the problems because of uh, the Democrats that are in charge like this. But uh, it's, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's very, very frustrating. Well, well, Joseph, I mean, again, yeah, he, he's on the other side of the of the nation, literally, not in California, but he, I mean, which is you're right, they they have their own problems, but he's in another liberal state uh, of Hawaii. And now, yeah. uh, correct correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Joseph, but I wouldn't think illegal immigration. I mean, is it really that much of a problem in Hawaii? No, luckily, only because of our geographical location, we are the closest state to the Pacific and to uh, the. Uh, 
we're the closest state in the Pacific, and we're the closest state to Asia and the Pacific Islands, and we're separated by water. So we don't have that immigration issue, luckily only because of the geographical location of Hawaii, which is uh, very unique uh, compared to the 49 other states. So we don't we don't have that problem. We don't have uh, sanctuary cities here. Uh, we don't have people illegally crossing borders because we're separated by water. And surprisingly, um, you know, even though there's a lot of uh, human trafficking and uh, a lot of people from Asia who are smuggled on boats, surprisingly, they don't choose to come to Hawaii as a port of entry. They go to California. Um, so because it's, it's, we have uh Pearl Harbor here, we have so many, uh, military installments here and the coast guard that are very vigilant of uh, what's coming into the shores. And so with all that heat, I think it kind of deters or discourages, um, uh, people to be smuggled in on boats and things of that nature. And so therefore, instead they they go to California because it's an easier route uh, to get uh, to illegally enter the uh, United States. So luckily, yeah, we don't have that problem in Hawaii. Uh, but uh, I am a native New Yorker, and uh, I was. Oh, that's York right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. How'd you and escape? I, and I just, I uh, actually from Queens, and I had a yeah. family emergency. So I left on February the 1st, and I came back on February the 10th. Okay, be careful. Be careful, because Governor Cuomo put together teams, and they're rounding us up and bringing us back to the state. So (laughs) watch out your window. They could come for you. Just see how. So so I hear. (laughs) So I hear. Uh, But if it's one thing I noticed as I was – I went out one day with with a friend. It was the only time I had personal time to myself, is the homeless population has exponentially – risen in the two years that I've been gone and um, you know de Blasio and Cuomo are just running New York into the ground where even the CEO of T-Mobile is leaving New York Uh, anyone who has wealth is leaving New York Uh, New York is dead last in in, uh, not being the most business friendly state at all it's actually the worst state to to, to have a business or grow a business and uh, like my fellow New Yorker uh, said, if you're a conservative, you pretty much have a death sentence. Um, yep. You pretty much are marked like a scarlet letter if you actually admit it, if you actually say it. And Antifa, which the Trump administration has said many times should be labeled as a terrorist <coughs> domestic group, because they really should be labeled as a terrorist a domestic group, because they do fit the criteria. Luckily, because in Hawaii, we have very, very, a very small African-American population and a very small Latino population. We don't have to worry about Antifa. You could actually wear a MAGA hat in Hawaii and not get lynched. Um, but for other blue states, that'd be a different story. You, you'd be actually signing up to get lynched in New York or California if you walked around with that hat. And then you have to deal with Antifa and all of that, as my native New Yorker can attest to. Oh you know, yeah, but I'm, I'm in I'm in Ohio. You know, I'm in the I'm in the Midwest. No, I'm in a city that's the city. Well, I'm in a township outside of a city that's run by Democrats. Um, but I mean, I have I don't have a I'm, well, actually I do have a Make America Great hat. Uh, I don't wear it a lot because it's actually too big for my head. But I do have uh, a, a <laughs> you know a space uh, you know I do have a Space Force hat. 
I mean, I even get some looks from people wearing that. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I'm ever, I'm going to get like beat up or lynched, but I, I won't, I, I don't wear it out to like, if I go to a restaurant, I won't wear my hat to a re- in a restaurant. Cause I mean, I, I, for the little, for the real concern that they might spit in my food, <laughs> my kid or do something yeah. or do something to, to my food. It's terrible. It's I mean, not I just, can't it's, it's not just that. It's, it's anything that they don't like. Anything they don't like. We had a yellow ribbon event for, I, I won't say it on your show, for one of the military units that's down in the city. And my New York buddy there would know what unit, what armory it was. And they had a yellow ribbon. It was welcoming the unit back from serving over in Afghanistan and welcoming the soldiers back and everything. Okay, fine. And I'm, I'm behind the mess all because of the type of work that I do. And I'm talking to three or four of the soldiers and one of them said, a lady, a liberal, walked up to him, tie-dye shirt, stereotype. You've got to be kidding me. This is like, uh, you know, Woodstock's done. What are you doing? All right, walked up to him, spit on him, and said, too bad you didn't get killed over there. That's that's awful. Well, look, now, I mean, the, other, the, they... the, the other two soldiers yeah. grabbed him. He said, I, I started to go after her, and the other guys grabbed him and said, don't do it. Just, it's not worth it. Leave it. Just let it. And, and they were they were pissed. They said, Mike, you know. I said, you've got to be kidding me. No, they're in their own reality. Their anger, I don't know what has fueled this type of a rabid anger that with them. And and you look, I have no respect for them. I, I just can't feel it. But to me, they're nothing but a joke now. And eventually it's going to come down to the point that I'd like to see a Democrat embarrassed to admit that they're a Democrat or a liberal. Eventually, it will, I think it will happen. Well, and I have, uh, and I've got liberal friends. I mean, what, what, what? I mean, I have a liberal friend at work. I mean, most of them you, you can't stand to talk to them anymore. But this, no. uh, this guy, um, you know, he's a you know, black friend of mine at work. He's, he's certainly liberal. He, he's afraid. He's, I think he's afraid of Trump actually. But um, no. and, and you know, just he's afraid of what he'll do because again, he, he watches the alphabet. I'm, I'm sure he watches the alphabet stations. But he, you can actually have a civil. I can actually have a civil conversation with him. You know about it. We can even joke back and forth around, you know, about politics a little bit. Uh, but I mean, I literally lost a friend of a decade because I voted for Donald Trump. You know, and yeah. it's and, and it's ridiculous. I'm like, you lose friends just because we. I mean, and I told him, I said, we get more in common than we do, uh, uh, you know, differences. And, and we can't be friends anymore. And you know, we've been friends for a decade, and we can't be friends anymore because I voted for Donald Trump. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, but they're morally superior than us, so that it dictates the cult membership, what they belong to, the, for the greater good, dictates that they can't associate with it. It's against everything, the foundation, all their beliefs and who they are. It's it's bizarre. It it, it really is. Uh, it's, I don't know. Uh, we, we've got a we've got a hell of a battle ahead of us. And it, when he does get reelected, I don't know what's going to happen in the streets. You know, I've got well, a, a theory. Maybe I'm wrong about I need to this. buy a gun I, by uh, then. <laughs> I got uh, other weapons. But. Well, you know, by the way, speaking of that, um, when you go to your Facebook page for your, your show, I just sent you a message with the link for the radios, the propaganda radios. You might find it interesting. And uh, so that way you'll see also that I'm for real. I'm not a troll or some faceless entity saying, you know, you'll see who I am and everything. Um now, I've got a theory that I want to bring up quick on here that I, I've got an idea about these people from what, what I've seen, my standpoint. I'm, I'm looking at a lot of these, whether they're socialists, liberals, Democrats, whatever they call themselves. I think that down, deep down inside, they're scared to death of, they hate any, anything with authority, 
anything that has the ability to say no to them, unless they control it, unless it's part of their cult system, which is controlling the courts and everything else to get what they want. Any symbol of authority, whether it's the gun or police or courts or anything like that, politicians, anything that has the ability to stop them from getting what they want and pushing their agenda to them is evil and they'll fight it. And that's why a lot of them, why are you so anti-gun? Well, it's a symbol of authority to them. They don't like that. They don't like the, it's, I'm wondering if that's part of a bigger picture of something that's going on with these people. They're determined to get what they want and anything stands in their way, they're going after it. And authority is a, a big part of it. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, no, that's a, that's an interesting um, you know, thought on, on, on guns. I never, you know, considered that before, but yeah, that, I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, because, I mean, I've been a gun collector over 50 years and, uh, and I've run into many, many debates with them and just shut them down. And also with libertarians, I've run into them where they try, they've repeatedly, always around election time, they'll come in on, on the gun owners' pages and gun collector pages and they'll try passing themselves off as, you know, I'm pro gun. I've got, and I ended up, it's easy to expose them that they're not pro gun. They don't know, understand anything about firearms. They're just out there fishing for votes, trying to flip gun owners to vote libertarian and they'll insult that's a game i'm seeing some of it now where look at this they're saying and it's always the libertarians you keep saying that trump is pro second amendment never that he isn't he's lying to you this is the only option you shouldn't be voting for trump you should be voting for what waste our vote are you crazy why so that you can get the amounts of, of votes that you need to get your name on the no it doesn't work like that but that's a game another game they're playing there are so many games that are out there, so many traps for the American voter. It's it's a minefield. It really is a minefield out there today. But yeah, and and, and the thing is, is how did it get? You know, ever so get, how did it get this way? You know what I mean? I mean, how, seriously, how did it really get? Um, well, get like this in, have, such, in such a short in such a short amount of time. The Greeks have an expression that the guy pays rent, but he sleeps on his feet. It's, it's true. The American voter has been paying rent for an apartment with a bed, but they've been sleeping on their feet for years. We were so wrapped up in our own lives and doing well and making money, having a career and the kids and all that, and everything, that we didn't give a damn what was going on with the political system. And we always trusted it. We trusted that it would work. Well, now... Now that it hit the fan, and the machine, uh, in a way, our government always was on autopilot. Regardless of who was in office, even if the president didn't do crap like Carter, things happened to work. The machine kept working. Unfortunately, because of a lot of the, they call it deep state, which to me, uh, you know, uh, I think it dramatizes a little bit. It's because of the career staffers and politicians that are in the machine all the ministries that have been created that keep that machine working regardless of who's, who's in office. So we know exactly. the president's name, but we don't know the staffers that are running the uh, Department of Agriculture and the Department of Labor and the Department of – and all these people are appointed, and they run the machine, and they dictate what's going on. We don't know who they are. They work behind the curtains, and they continue no matter who's in office. 
Those are the ones that are the problem, and Trump's cleaning them out right now. I see it firsthand yeah, that, because I'm a government that makes him a fascist, according to some people. <laughs> well, because they're authority. Now we get back to authority again. Ah. And, and real quick, as a programming I, note, as we are getting uh, towards the top of the hour, so if you're out in the chat and I do see some folks in there, uh, give us a call at 347-945-7428, uh, and you'll be able to listen to the uh, – and, and participate if you push the one on your number dial. We'll get you into the show. I do see other callers on. If you'd like to chime in, push one on your number dial. Uh, don't let your call drop because if you do, unfortunately, after the top of the hour, uh, you will not be able to call back in. Uh, that's just how things are set up. Uh, so, uh, you know, keep those phones charged or whatever you need to, to do for the you know, drop the call because uh, you won't be able to get called uh, back in. And also, yes, yeah, if you are out there listening uh, to the show on chat and you like to listen to the extended period or what we lovingly sometimes call Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, give us a call at the 347-945-7428. Uh, thank you for that uh, short interruption there. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Uh, if you could, please don't forget to check your uh, your Facebook messages and, and and check out that link when you get a chance. Yeah, and that's on. Uh, the, you said that was on the Bard's Logic. Yeah, it was. Um, yes, Bard's Logic political talk. Yeah, yeah. Let me get back because actually I got to um, redo the page because I got blocked out of Facebook, and really? yeah, and so well, I had to there's start two on, of them. Yeah, one's a group and one. Yeah, one's a group okay. and then one's um, the page, and I actually had to start all over. So I, I mean, I could access them, but I can't make any adjustments to them now because I don't know the old password. So I mean, okay. but I, I could still access them. I just can't. Um, but I'll check to see if it's the group because I'm looking at the page, um, but I'm not. I'm not seeing any other new links. Uh, well, only stuff a, from. I sent a request to your uh, political talk group. I just sent a request to that. Oh, well, let's see. I, I don't even have access to that anymore. Okay, but the, other, the I, other one that's at the page, if you have access to yeah. that, I, I've... No, I don't even have access. I don't have access to that anymore either. Oh, so then... It, they're, I, yeah, they're yeah. just, just kind of out there. I'm, what I'm probably going to have to do is just start all over, I hate to say, but I'm probably going to have to start that all over. So how do we find you on Facebook then? Yeah, it's kind of hard to find me on Facebook because I'm not on it very often. Yeah, but I tell so you what, you there, there is a way. I, 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 I yeah, there's a way you can you can email me. There is a, you can go to the uh, and then I can give you a, a link to get me to, um, you know, I, I give you a link to my Facebook page where you can yeah you, know, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, but you know, since who knows if I give it out here on the on the air, yes, who knows yes, what kind of it. people are going to try to friend yes, me. So uh, you're and yeah, so you're I can a, monitor things. Right. Yeah, send me. You, you can get, go to the the contact page on the website, and that's www.bardslogicpolitictalk.com, uh, whereas you can uh, you know send me a, uh, a a message, an email from the contact portal, uh, as well as uh, there's uh, little buttons there where you can reach. Uh, and I actually have to change change it on the on the website, but you could the, the Twitter's still good. It's just the Facebook there isn't. Um, okay, so it, it's I had to do Bards, www.bardslogic. Politicaltalk.com. Yeah, you can just even Google Bards Logic Political Talk, and it'll pop right up. Okay. I just said that. It came right up. Okay, so yep. contact portal. 
I'm not really yeah, good. Contact point has a has a little female elf on there from a video game I used to play. I thought it was. Oh, you I, know, I like to play on words where she's opening up a portal. <laughs> yeah. That's why I call it the uh, uh, the contact portal uh, because uh, it's kind of a little play on words. It's a, a video game I used to play, and that the the, the photo you have and you see that little swirly thing. That's that's her in the in the game opening up a portal of a game that's called it. Dragon Age I used to play, and actually. Uh, a little back, uh, little back information is uh, there was uh, this was back in 2012, so I tell you how many years ago. Uh, but uh, the there was a, a woman who would sing the music for that. Uh, that and, and for, man, I got to update that too. But um, anyway, uh, I got I did get the opportunity to uh, to interview. Uh, her name's Aubrey Ashburn, and you you probably heard her name from me. You know, playing. Uh, our closing song with with uh, something from that like, again from that game, but um, yeah, I got the chance to interview her back in 2012. It was pretty, it was pretty cool. I mean, it had nothing to do with politics, but it was uh, interesting to you know be playing a video game, hearing her voice on the video game, and then hearing her vi- uh, her voice on the you know, uh, on the, on my CD I made from the you know the soundtrack. And then getting an opportunity to actually interview her and have a conversation with her. That was pretty cool, I must admit. <laughs> cool. I just sent you the message through your so you should have it. Yeah, I'll get um, it in the I'll get it in an email when I get my when I get yeah, my email. So, yeah, when you when you get it. That way you can check it and follow and let me know what you think. But it's interesting. Yeah, certainly. But man, but anyways, uh I mean we we lived in California for eleven years. After the Northridge quake we decided I'd had enough. The gun laws are changing in California and time to come back home and uh little did i know that it would follow me here they they grow they metastasize the whatever you, people joke about it but it's true um a lot of the liberals when they destroy one town a city with their agenda and their politics then they spread they move and they go to other places and they bring their baggage with them and they spread their stupidity and it just continues and it never ends. I found a, a, an article that was written, an open letter that was in a, a something, some sort of a publication from down in New York City um, that was for LGBT. And, and the man said, you know, myself and my husband, we moved up here to Putnam County. That's above us. And um, we moved up here, even though there were a lot of Trump bumper stickers and everything at first, which had us concerned. Um, but it was very nice and we're up here. The taxes were cheaper than the city and everything. And yeah, okay. I understand why you left New York city and why you moved up there to get out of the crap hole that you helped build. So now you packed up a tail between your legs and you came up to our County. That's conservative. It's pro gun. And you came up here and you're trying to destroy this County now. And what's the guy do? He said, well, after the elections, it was unbelievable. They were partying. You could hear radios and music blasting in, in apartment buildings and, and people driving. It was, it, they were out of control. And I think we can make a change here. And I invite all of my friends that if you want to really make a change, please move up to Portland County. We can make a difference and help us fix this county. And I read that and I went, fix it? You What? It was working before you came. You want to fix it? Same way you fixed New York City with your liberal policies and everything? But this is in their minds. They're right. They're morally superior. They're smarter than us. 
They look at all of us and they say, you know, these people, are Je- it's Jethro Bodine. They're all hillbillies. They look at us with nothing but contempt. It's, uh, but, they, but then they'll say when they're losing that, well, we have to, have, we have to discuss things. We have to, we have to work together. I, it's, man, I don't know. It's going to take, take quite a bit to get them to sit down and shut up. Is there I don't, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, his daughter graduated college recently, summa cum laude, top of her class, great. And she was brought up in the household as conservative. And as she was going through college, little by little, my, my buddy told me, he said, Mike, he said that I could see the differences in her with the liberal uh, BS that she was being taught by the teachers and everything, to the point that we started getting into arguments over politics, and, and they really had her convinced, go, leaning towards socialism and, and this and that. And now, my buddy, six months ago, went to visit Cuba. And he came back, and he was telling me stories. It was unbelievable. They love American tourists. It, it, was, it was very interesting what he was telling me. But he told her, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pay for your vacation. I'm going to send you to Cuba for two weeks, and I'll pay for everything. And he did. And he came back and the argument stopped. He said, Mike, that's what it took to stop it because she got to see firsthand and talk to people about socialism and see how it works, how the communist rate, how the socialists, how all of it, to see what all of the, the Bernie attitudes, all of the theories and everything, to see them in play and see how they've worked. And he said, she came back and that changed a lot of it. So, and now she's embarrassed. She won't discuss it with me but it worked. It was worth the money. If we could do that with a lot of the youth of today, I know it's not going to happen. It's not feasible, but that was interesting to see that. Well, every engineer you hear that. Yeah, I'm God. Speaking of Facebook, and this is one of the reasons why I kind of stayed away from Facebook, but I'm on it now, is they've got uh, an article. This is something local. And I read, I kind of skimmed through the article, you know, I'm still on the show, it says, uh, Hamilton County Clerk of Courts launches task force uh, to protect immigrants. Is this, this, you want to talk about where our country's going? This is where it's going, especially with yeah. the liberals. It says, yeah. Cincinnati, Fox 19, Hamilton County Clerk of Courts, Aftaf Perval, how did they, I thought that guy didn't even get elected, um, announced a new task force Tuesday designed to ensure immigrants and minorities feel safe in the courthouse. The effort reportedly stems from reports that immigration officials have entered the courthouse and arrested illegal immigrants there for court business. Perval, who was joined at the announcement by the Immigration and Refugee Law Center and Catholic Charities – and again, one reason I'm not a Catholic – Catholic Charities uh-huh. argued immigrants feel targeted at the courthouse and that it would, uh, could prevent individuals from showing up. We are hearing from our immigrant communities – see how they leave out the word illegal – uh, from everyday folks yep. who just need to get work done in the courthouse and that they do not feel welcome or safe here. What You know what? Don't be here illegally. Anyway, says yep. Turball said, uh, that is a problem and a problem for us to fix, certainly a problem for my office to delve into because, again, my priority is access to justice. If you went really the, – the liberal hypocrisy never ceases to astound <laughs> me because you guys want to and – and I'm posting this on Facebook. is You guys want to bitch, moon, and complain and yell that the president of the United States is not above the law, but yet you want to give all this stuff to you, – you, but illegal immigrants aren't either. 
So, you know, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth where you say no one is above the law, but you want to but you'll let these illegal immigrants, you know, bypass the laws with impunity. And the, yeah. the article stops says Emily Brown of Advocates for Basic Legal Equity talked about the rise of so-called collateral arrests in quote. We are seeing ICE going into courthouse and making an arrest for a person. They have a they have a warrant on they have a warrant for or an order of removal, said Brown, but they will will stop and question other people and other people will get arrested as well. So it's like these guys have warrants out for these people's arrest and you want to stop them. Okay, they they have warrants. But you what you want to have a safe zone for illegals? Yeah, they're all going to start camping out at the, at the courthouse so they can't get arrested. I mean, it's ridiculous. Does Perbold told Fox 19 now there is one judge that could be singled out for having contained uh, contacted ICE officials to alert them of the presence of the illegal immigrants in his court? So what? So what? Hey, we got what? illegal immigrants here. Come here and serve your warrant. Are you serious? Serve your warrant. Oh my gosh! And these people say that they're that they support the rule of law. Ridiculous! This is where our country is going, and I'll tell you what: this is absolutely ridiculous. And this is what the left is trying to do. They are trying to destroy our country from from within because this country is the last bastion against globalism. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, they. You know what it is? It's it comes down to I think again, like I said, accountability. They hate that, that that power, that authority is in someone else's hands. They have no control over it, and that it's the final saying. It's the hammer blow for them, and it's driving them nuts. They're scared to death of ICE. They're scared to death of, of anything with law enforcement that, that it's going to take away, and they will ignore certain things like this. Like one of them said, what do you plan to do them, even, even when the caravans were coming up from Mexico? And they said, come we never learn from history. Don't you remember what a DP camp is? What's a DP camp? I've got, a, I've got an armband in my collection, uh, which it's an original armband. They called them, after World War II, displaced persons. There were DP camps that were set up for these people, that were, and they were put into it. Well, we can't call them that. That wouldn't be nice. I know that that would be the next argument they'd give. That would be an insult. But they would detain them there, sort them out, figure out who's who, who needs what help, to get them back to their country that they need or whatever, get them the help they need over there. Not just let them across the border and let them into this country and where the laws don't pertain to them and they're allowed to. No, it doesn't work like that. And as you said, they, they refuse to use that word, the term illegal. They're immigrants. No, they're not immigrants. They're illegal. But, I, you know, it, it's, it's really turned into sometimes it's a fact. It's like I'm living in a Monty Python episode. The parrot's dead. Right. No, it's not. He's sleeping. I, what? It's all we can do is actually just laugh at them. I I don't know what I'm not gonna. It's not even worth insulting them anymore. But you can't debate. Um, no, you're right. They're they're not. They're just immigrants. They're not illegals. Uh, and ICE, they're terrified of ICE. That's why they were hoping to defund it. Can you believe that? Remember that AOC and the rest of them were talking about that. They wanted to abolish it. Yeah, I mean that's ridiculous. You know, that's what I put on the Facebook. I said, you know, I said, this is a front of the rule of law. Illegal immigrants yeah. are not above the law. More liberal hypocrisy, knowing how President Trump is not above the law, and then support illegal immigrants to skirt the law with impunity. ICE are serving warrants. So now courthouses are, are, are to be safe havens for people that have entered our country illegally? That's ridiculous. Uh, 
know. I don't know. There's no magic pill or magic one one solution that's going to solve all this. It's across the. I think the. the I think what'll solve a lot of our problems is as soon as Ginsburg does something, goes to Aruba or retires or whatever, then I think we got to get as soon as we get the courts back, a lot of this stuff is going to get cleaned up because they've had they've had a field day for too many years where they've controlled the courts and allowed all of the laws and everything to be warped, interpreted, screwed with for so long that now we're left with a pile of crap that they, because of them. So I'm hoping that once we get the Supreme court back and now he's done that, he's quite a bit, Trump has done quite a bit by appointing justices and, and many of the other circuit courts, we're making a change. The Ninth Circuit Court, I think, I think he did flip that already now, um, or well, one, that one off. Yeah, and but I think that's happening. That every time they try pulling one of these games, they're not going to have the court to back him up. But uh, the battle that we're going to see when Ginsburg goes, that's going to be the the battle for Berlin. Oh, that's going to be crazy. To the liberals, that's going to be Berlin 1945 for them. That'll be the last stand. And when they lose it, I don't know what to expect out of them. It should be entertaining. Sorry to talk so much. I hope I've been burning your ear with some of this. Oh, no, no, that's that's okay. That's that's what the the show's for. It's for a forum. Uh, And so we'll go ahead and bring it over to you, Joseph. Is there anything you'd like to uh, add on that? Uh, yes, um, you asked a very valid question that really struck me, um, and it was, uh, how did we get here? How did we get to 2020 with all this vitriol? Um, I think a lot of people have different views on it. Uh, my honest view has, and my contention has always been the same. Eight years of George W. Bush, eight years of Barack Obama led us to where we are today. I honestly believe that in all my heart and all my soul. Uh, I wonder how things would have differed if Al Gore would have won, because we're talking about the Al Gore who didn't lose his mind back in uh, 2000. We're talking about the blue dog, moderate Al Gore, who is a different person in every way, shape, and form not the lunatic that he has become today. So I always wonder, and it was an interesting uh, comment that Tucker Carlson made the other night, and he says, you know, Obama led to Trump. George W. Bush led to Obama. I wonder what would have happened if Gore would have won, where the party would be. And to be very honest with you, I think that's where we are today. It's eight years of George W. Bush, eight years of Barack Obama. See, when Hillary was still a senator and she ran against uh, Obama in 07, the, the the party was still blue. They were they were they were still moderate. They were still the party of Bill Clinton. They were still the party of uh, blue dog Democrats. They were not an extinct species, which they are today. They were still very, very much in the middle. And uh, those were one of my main reasonings as to why I think Hillary would have been a better choice 
not the Hillary who evolved when she became Secretary of State, but if you go back and you view her speeches and her what her what her platform was, it was all catered to uh, being a moderate, running as a moderate. Because remember, after Bill Clinton, uh, you know the party still stayed uh, as centrists, as moderates, and we built upon that. Uh, they built upon that, the party. So I honestly think that the party took a horrible turn to the left when Obama got elected, basically eviscerated um, the Blue Dog Democrats, making them pretty much extinct. And I think with all that tension building up over 16 years, we are where we are today. Um, will we ever get back to you know, the Dems going back to being moderates and, and actually having civility or or, 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 we, or we be on the point of no return. Um, I don't know. Only time will tell. But all I know is politically we live in scary, we live in a very scary time. And basically the liberal outrage is nobody in a thousand years expected Trump to win. Nobody. Not even the the polls on that day, on November the 6th of 2016, were giving Trump a 7% chance of winning. Nobody expected in a million years. Heck, I even think the Trump team was surprised um, that they won. I don't think they went in with 100% confidence because if you look at the size of their ballroom reception, on, on that night of 2016, election night, compared to Hillary's, they, they had a very small room. I don't, I don't even think they expected to win in the fashion that they did. So No, I don't, I know, I'd agree. I think Trump was actually surprised he won. <laughs> I could see it on his face, believe me, as he was coming down, absolutely. So I think all of that outrage that boiled and all of the, the, the vitriol that, that Obama was spreading for eight years you know, he divided the country. Give Bill Clinton credit. You don't have to love him, uh, you know, on a personal level. But on a professional level, he was not divisive. He was not a divisive president. He did not try to divide the country. He did everything to work on a bipartisan level, even though Newt Gingrich had to pull him by the little short hairs to do so. But give him credit. At least he didn't cave in. He stayed the course, even though, you know, it was due to a lot of influence by Newt Gingrich, but it doesn't matter how he got there. He stayed the course, but he wasn't divisive. He wasn't trying to divide the country. Neither were the Democrats back then. Neither was Al Gore, if you look at his platform, when he was running against George W. Bush. So the Democrats were a different party back then. And a lot of people, especially the millennials, they don't know that because they weren't around back then or they were too young to remember but once upon a time, not so long ago, in the 90s, those were the days where Bill Clinton uh, believed in borders. Those were the days when the Democrats would never, never say, hey, we welcome illegal immigrants. And not only do we welcome them, we're going to give them uh, free health care, uh, free driver license, EBT, you know, those were the days when the Democrats believed in the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. It was a whole different party with a whole different set of principles and ideology. 
it was a breath of fresh air in comparison to the garbage that you're hearing today. And it's sad what the Democratic Party has become. It has become everything that it despised and stood up against for over 200 years, being that they are the longest reigning political party. They have become everything they have despised, everything that they campaigned against for over 200 years until the age of Obama came. And so that is my take. That has always been my take. That will always be my take. I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. But that's the way how I see things um, based on facts and also based on my opinion. And I'll leave it to you, Robert. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, two things. One is, yeah, I mean, I I would agree that – they're not the same Democrat Party. I mean, that is for certain. I mean, the, the the more time goes by, especially after Obama, I think the more the more leftist they got, and it's it's getting worse. Um, and then two is that uh, the Democrat. It's actually going to get more than two, but two, the Democrats just didn't seem to hate the other side of the aisle as much as they seem to hate the other side of the aisle now. And I'm not even just talking about Democrats who are in. You know, in Congress, in the Senate, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not even just talking about the the, polit- the Democrat politicians. I'm talking about their followers. I mean, their followers. And the thing is, is it's kind of, I mean, I know you know, Christian this now, but I know, I mean, seriously, if you think about it, it's kind of hard to like somebody who hates you. You know, <laughs> that's just human nature. You know, but the thing is, is they hate us. And, and and I find it hard, even for myself, to not hate them back. I mean, I've caught myself many times like, God, I hate these people. Then you know what? I never hated – I never hated Obama. I didn't like his policies. I never hated uh, Clinton. Didn't like his policies. But I never hated them. You know. But if you put out – if you put Schumer and you put uh, Schiff and you put Pelosi, I can literally say – you know, and 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 Booker, I can literally say I hate those people, I, and and to be and be honest on it, and I don't apologize for any of that, you know. But seriously, they they have actually instilled hate within me because, and I hate the media, and and everything that comes with hating somebody, you know. Seriously, I mean, because for example, AOC or AOC is is somebody on. Um, uh, the that that new news channel talking about the uh, One American News. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's got a program on there. I think it's uh, nine o'clock or something. Uh, but he calls her AOC. I mean, when she, I mean, she went on a tirade for thirty minutes to an hour, all pissed off because Trump gave Rush Limbaugh, you know, the the National Medal of Honor or something of that nature. And she went, on, I didn't watch it, but I heard about it. She went off for like a half hour, an hour about how he should have done that, you know. And then, and then when they were, t- you know, cheer, you know, cheering for him, a guy who's suffering from stage four cancer. Let me tell you something. For all those people who, you know, who were you know, vicious to him, I tell, I hope they turn around and they get advanced cancer. The hell with them. That's how I feel. You know, I have no compassion whatsoever for people who don't have compassion for someone else. So let them suffer through that, you know, to, to, to say that about Rush Limbaugh. I mean, I've, said, I've seen people, 
who and, and the p- people who are regulars here know I'm not a religious person, you know. But it really tears me up. It make, not tears me up, but it makes me angry when I see people on Facebook, again or Twitter, saying, "Oh, well, Rush Limbaugh's going to hell." You know what? Who the hell do you think you are? For one, if you're someone who actually believes in hell, which I, you know, I I don't subscribe to that, but I, I know enough for the people who do believe in hell. Aren't they really not supposed to say that someone is going to go to hell because that they're putting themselves in the place of God? And so you can't do that. So if you're somebody who believes in hell, you can't say that person's going to hell and be on the right side of things because you don't know. And you know, and so I mean, but there's stuff out there, you, you, you know, who are just the the, the the vitriol and the meanness, and you know, and just and stuff like that just burns me up. But it hasn't. I I haven't seen it like that, you know, for the 30 plus years I've been following politics. Is that? And, and the thing is, is the here's what I think happened to answer the question. Where, how do we get here? I blame the media because that and. The Democrats are saying, you know, even worse than the Democrats, and I think the Democrats are following the media's lead. Even though I, I call the the uh, the alphabet media the propaganda arm of the DNC and the Democrat Party, but they're the ones who are spewing all this this negative hate stuff about Trump, and you know the Democrats are too. But the thing is, is the media are getting the people who are not who don't like Trump. They're getting him to hate Trump, and not only they're not they're not only getting people to hate Trump. They're getting people to hate Trump followers. And liberals, when they hate somebody, they go out – like here's the thing. I'm not going to go out and beat somebody up with a baseball bat because I hate them, but that doesn't stop liberals from doing it. They do it all the time. Look at that guy the other day who drove his van through people trying to register Republicans. Of course, the media were like hush-hush about it, and there was even people on Twitter saying, oh, well, this is just an overblown story, and I put it to the person. Of course, they didn't respond. You know, I said, well, wait a minute. If this was you know, something for the you – know, <clears throat> you know, some kind of liberal cause, I mean you wouldn't think it was an overblown story. It's just it's the hypocrisy of the left. You know, just It has no bounds. That's, that's how we got here. They're hypocritical. As long as you hate Trump. As long as you do something to promulgate your hatred for Trump, anything goes. Nothing is off the table, you know, to, to, to show your, your your hate for Trump and Trump's followers. I mean, there's people who are beaten up. I don't care. People can call me a sexist. They want. I really don't care what people think about me. But the thing is, is and I'm not seeing anybody here, but other people who listen to the show, it's like, look, I mean, they're even beating up women because they're wearing a mega hat. Really? What kind of man are you to, to be beating up a woman because she's wearing a mega hat? You know, but there they are. They're just they're just utterly disgusting anymore. And we can bring we'll bring you're it right. back to you, Mike. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And so to bring it back to, and, and I want to play this audio um, uh, tonight because you know it's in, in, in line with the uh, the show, and it, and it is a longer video. I found it tonight while I was you know doing some show prep uh, for. Uh, tonight's episode, and uh, this is, you know, LaRouche, and I'll be honest, I mean, he's he's not a very exciting person to listen to. It is kind of dry, you know, can, can be even kind of like, I wouldn't say boring, because the content is interesting, but it's not like all excitement, but I do want to play, because I think it is in, in line with 
you know, our show tonight. So I definitely want to play that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute of our – well, I can't mute mine or else you won't hear the audio. But, um, you know, mute the mic, play that. It's about 15 minutes, uh, but we still have some time for closing comments. So what I like to do is, is play the audio and get closing comments, and I'll have to uh, close things out for tonight. But I'm, all, you know, definitely looking forward and hopefully to hear from, you know, all the callers tonight, including uh, you, Mike, including you, uh, Joseph. Hopefully get you guys back on the show. And, you know, next week, you know, we do have uh, that gentleman from the LaRouche Pack. It's going to be a very interesting program uh, that we're going to have uh, with him on. I'm really looking forward to having Mike Billington on. And, um, you know, he's, uh, his focus, is, you know, is on Asia. So we're definitely going to uh, hear from him. He's actually the, um, uh, the editor and head of the Asia Desk at the Executive Intelligence Review. Uh, for the uh, LaRouche pack. And so anyway, so let me get, uh, key up that audio for us and uh, we'll go uh, we'll go from there and before we can get all that in and then get get to our uh, our you know, more thoughts and our closing comments. The last main effort of the United States to save its soul came when John F. Kennedy made a speech about doing something that was good to do because it was hard, the space program, the moon landing program. We have now, you see, at that point, you had a division in the economy to the extent that the space program as Kennedy had actually revived it from near death. It was about to die. But he revived it by that speech. And despite the other things that intervened during the period up to the time that this crazy Nixon came in, but we actually, in this space program, had the most important accomplishments in economy in our existence occurred within this sector of the economy during that period. We reached the ironical point, however, with 1967-68, with the change in the budget under those conditions, in which we were sending things into space as to the moon, but we were using up the technology which had brought us there. That is, we had lost many of the technologies which had been developed in the, under the space program earlier. This is the same thing that hit the uh, 128 circuit in Massachusetts about that time, where all these satellite industries around MIT and so forth were involved in various branches of the space program. And they began to collapse. But the, their product went into space, leaving the thing that had produced this product behind. And you'll find there's still today bits of technology kicking around in some private laboratory here and there, were left in a dustbin from that period. They're still around. Now, don't talk about economy the way most people talk about economists. And people who are decent economists really don't believe much in what's called economics today. They think actually in terms of more, much more concrete terms. And they don't use terms like industrial economy in any different sense. And the di distinction that 
Alexander Hamilton made with manufacturers back in that time. Uh, infrastructure, agriculture, manufacturers, that's, those are still the basic categories. Everything else is subsidiary. Now, the key thing that drives is science, physical science in particular. And physical science has many manifestations. It has the process of discovery, the process leading to a process of discovery, and the spillovers of a process as the effects of the discovery come tripping down through the process of engineering and so forth down, down the line. So now you're always looking for revolutions, scientific revolutions in technology. And sometimes these are little, like this thing by electric alternating current improvement, and sometimes there are much more fundamental things. But always in every case, when mankind adopts a mission which says, look, we've been doing this for a long time. Isn't there a better way of doing it? And you put a science driver behind this thing. Can anybody come up with a better way? Look, look at this thing. We've been doing the same thing for 10 years now. Isn't it about time we came up with something new, something fresh? And if you have a project, which is a national mission orientation, in all the great movements in, in history, economic history, come essentially from these revolutions, agro-industrial revolutions, revolutions in technology, mobilizations of people around technology. And it also goes to the question of how far can you go with a given technology? There are limits to any technology. These are the scientific principle limits of technology. Now we have before us a great change. The space program was possible. We got to the moon. And after Nixon, we could never get to the moon again. He killed the moon. He gave us moonshine instead of moon. <laughs> and we killed the space program. The space program is a shattered piece of crap today, in which you have elements of scattered in various parts of industry. Some guys are in a laboratory here. Some of these guys got something there. So this is the kind of thing we're dealing with now from the basement now. We have before us the prospect of industrialization of the moon, which was devised in, actually in the 1970s, in 19, early 1980s, by a friend of mine, a friend of ours at the time. And that's still valid. Now, if you want to go further into space, you want to go to higher levels of technology on Earth, you have to go into space. Because you have to have the challenge of going into space to get you to drive your technology upward and bring the benefits of driving it upward back to Earth and back to the benefits of mankind. We have also the question of exhaustion of various types of resources. Not, they're not really the resources that are exhausted, it's the way in which they're concentrated. The richest resources are being drawn down. We have to use poorer quality of resources, but we get the same effect. We do that by technological progress. Now the project before us is, and everybody who knows anything about science or economy knows this, we have to have a project of completing the moon assignment, as, which was what the push was then with Kennedy. It was not just going to the moon. The, the purpose was to industrialize the moon. 
And these would be largely automatic industries, which require automatic technologies. It would be industries controlled from Earth with very few people because, you know, a low gravitational, electromagnetic gravitational field is not the best thing for your health. And, right? and then we, the object is, what are we going to do with that? Well, we're going to go to Mars. And what the way, how do you go to Mars? Well, if you want to send something to Mars by inertial trajectory, you can do that. But I'd hate to send a human being out on an inertial trajectory for 200 to 300 days on a journey between the moon and Mars. It's not exactly, you know, what's going to arrive there, Mr. Blob? So, so therefore, we, we have to think about accelerated flight. Well, we have on the moon resource, we recognize helium-3. The sun has been depositing helium-3 as a, as a mineral on the planet surface of the moon for a long time. There's big pits of ore, helium-3. Helium-3 happens to be a very useful item for space flight because it, it, it can be directly, it has very directly applied to the propulsion process. We could technically, with helium-3, fusion, we could have a one-gravity flight from the orbit of the moon to the orbit of Mars, which will get you between the two planets within a few days. Now, there's some problems to be considered in venturing that, but if we can get to the planet from moon to Mars in several days by 1G gravitation or something comparable to that, that place is open to us, buddy. And whatever resources it has and whatever it means in the stepping stone to further things in space is now available to us. And once we adopt that policy, everything we've done in getting to Mars or getting toward getting to Mars now spills back on the planet as a revolution in everything we do on Earth. And the problems and challenges we face solve that. What this country needs apart from reorganizing this economy in a sensible direction, we need to have, and there are a lot of people about interested in this, we've got 10 nations now which are committed to a moon development project. 10 nations so far, committed, active. And I'm committed to a, a Mars arrival project. I've been committed to this for a long time, as some people know, since I did this half hour on mission, on mission to Mars back in 19, <laughs> 1988, 1988 campaign. And it's still valid today. I don't think I'm going to get there. I think I'm not in the best physical condition for that kind of tra travel. Decide. I wouldn't, it's not my sightseeing venture of the year, you know. But anyway, in, in probably in 20, 30, 40 years, we could have achieved not only the fulfillment of the moon development, but will have achieved in some way or the other. We will deal with Mars. We will conquer Mars. We will see what's up there. We'll see what use we make of it. And we will change the, nation of, the nature of man's conception of himself. Man will no longer think of himself as an earthbound land grubber. Not land lubber, but land grubber. And man will think of himself as man in the solar system. Because man is... Now, this means a change in relationships of human beings to human beings. You've got a human being on Mars that's working up there, a human being on Earth. It's a weekend travel to get up there and back. 
uh, is going to change the relationship of, uh, in human life. All the technologies which are now used to do this will now be reflected in revolutions in technology back on Earth, including growing food, food stuff. I mean, growing vegetables on Mars. I mean, this is a real change in agriculture. It, it broadens your conception of what agriculture means. And the way, that's how you do it. You have to adopt a national mission. Because I've got people who are now in their 20s, believe it or not. We still have produced babies. We still have people in their 20s. So we have a supply of them. Now they have it. We can get Obama under control. They have a life expectancy that goes into their 70s and 80s. And what are they going to do in the meantime? They're going to be the recipients and transmitters of this, this technological progress and what goes beyond before it, beyond it. And so we have to think about two or three generations ahead. I mean, don't you think about your grandchildren? Don't you think about even your great-grandchildren, if you're lucky? Hmm? Isn't that your mission in life? Isn't that your sense of continuity in life? So what's that? Generation, generation, 25 years. Three generations, 75 years. Four generations, 100 years. What are you going to be doing in the next 100 years, people? If you're thinking about the future, if you care about your children and grandchildren that are coming after you, if you think about future humanity and locate your identity in what you're doing for them to make their lives possible, what do you think about? You think about where we're going to be 75, 100 years from now. And think how well we, how accurately we can forecast where we might be. What are our options? Where are we going? What should we, what we should be doing? Hey, what are you going to do when you reach your retirement age at uh, age 75 or 70 or, 70 or 85 with improved health care? What are you going to be doing with yourself? What's your future? What kind of a world are you choosing? What kind of a, what kind of a solar system are you choosing to live in? And that's the way you do it. You don't do it by coming on a list of this, a list of that, what are your priorities? You go out with a mission, a mission for humanity. This is not about jobs. This is not about income. This is about humanity. The difference between man and the beast. What are you as a human being going to do that certifies you're a human being? You're not shameful in the result in the eyes of your grandchildren. What are you going to accomplish with your life? We made, we accomplished something. We got so far. How far are you going to take us? How much further are you going to take the human race? And that's what makes it work. It's motivation. How you choose to spend your life. Not pass it, but spend it. Expend it. To what purpose? To what end? What are you going to raise children for? To what end? For humanity. Why should you be remembered? by people two generations from now? Why should you be respected a generation from now? What are you going to do to earn that respect? Your identity as a human being. And if you follow that line of thinking and use the space issue, space exploration, as a parameter, a paradigm, from our recent experience, which shows the difference, then you say, we don't talk about industrial policy as such. We don't talk about agricultural policy. We talk about human policy. We talk about the development and progress of the human species to a better life for future generations. 
And that takes scientific and technological progress, as well as the cultural progress which fosters creativity in the individual human mind. That's our mission. What we're getting is people come with these crazy categories of values, crazy, stupid, dull, but they bore me. Now let's talk about going to the moment. That doesn't bore me. Because that, that involves exactly what we have to do step by step in terms of science and technology to do each thing we have to do to get each step along the way. And that's our mission orientation. We take that mission orientation and you find it works just fine. I yeah, appreciate uh, that, folks. I'll go ahead and uh, open up uh, the mics. We've got uh, some time for more discussion and for uh, closing comments. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, bring it to you, Joseph, and then Mike, uh, if you want to make any comments on those uh, those comments from – now, again, that uh, was taken – when you, we talked about the space program, it's kind of junk. It's what you say. Yeah, that's not a quote, but – um, this uh, video was from 2009, so I mean it has been, you know, 11 years since then. And of course, remember who was in office in 2009 as well. Uh, go ahead, Mike. I'm like like Joseph, and then Mike. Sure, and um, you know it's actually JFK who uh, pioneered the space program. He's the one who actually. Uh, pushed it forward. He's the one who prognosticated um, how far we could go with the space program. And many people forget historically that JFK was a Democrat, but he was, uh, it was a different party back then. And then when it, when LBJ took over, it became, the Democratic Party became the party of war uh, when they intervened in Vietnam, when we had no reason to go in there. And then in the 70s, it became the party of appeasement, uh, as Jimmy Carter had a very horrible foreign policy uh, overview, uh, and he was very weak on foreign policy. So, um, and remember, I used to be a progressive um, not too long ago, uh, you know, back in the 90s. I grew up as a progressive, uh, and not because anyone... um, not because my parents raised me to be one. My mother raised me to be a free thinker. But, uh, you know, back then, those were where, where my views were aligned. But I was always a blue dog Democrat. I was always a moderate. I was always a centrist. I always believed in bipartisanship. I always believed in civility. I never despised the other side. I disagreed with the other side, but I never despised the other side. Um and so that's that's important for people to know that because uh, a lot of times when I'm speaking the truth about the Democratic Party, whether it be positive or negative, the truth is always the truth. Some people just may not want to hear it, or it's not the na- or it doesn't fit their narrative. I remind people, you know, because people say, "Oh, you're just a conservative that bashes liberals," and I'm like, "Well, no, actually, I used to be a progressive. I used to be a liberal. Oh, yeah." I used to be a blue dog Democrat, but different time, different era, different views, Um, you know. And so 2020 is getting really, really closer than we think. Um, You know, we are in February, 
and it's going to be a a hard-fought campaign at the end of the day. But Trump has to win to keep this country going in the right direction. He has to win, and he has to campaign as if he were losing, because that's the same mistake the Hillary camp made in saying it was in the bag. Obama many times touted on the campaign trail, even laughed, mocked Trump in saying there's no way he can win, right? So we don't want to make the same mistake that was made by Hillary in 2016 and leave your eye off the ball. We can't afford that, you know. So Trump is going to have to go out there and be on point on messaging. And what he needs to do is he needs to go out and he needs to emphasize and promote what he has done in office, his astounding record in office. That's what he needs to do. He needs to do what Bill Clinton did in 96 when he went, ran in, uh, when he won in a, a, a landslide against Bob Dole. What did Clinton have going in his favor? A thriving economy, pre-9-11, a thriving domestic policy, a thriving foreign policy, because remember, this was all pre-9-11. So basically, the Republicans had no argument against Bill Clinton as to why they should be in office. Bob Dole had no argument. It kind of sounds like the liberals right now. They have no substance. They have no argument. They can't argue against an economy that's booming. So instead, they, uh, they go to playing dirty. Because when you can't back up what you're saying, what are, or you, you, you can't back up what you're saying, or you don't have a record to support what you're saying, what else do you resort to? The only other thing you can resort to is muslin. And that's what this whole impeachment was always about from the beginning. In my opinion, it was to distract the American people from the success of the Trump administration. Only guess what? In 98, the Democrats warned the Republicans to pursue impeachment. It's going to blow up in your face. And it did. And we go back over 20 years later, and the Republicans are telling the Democrats that, go ahead, pursue impeachment. is going to blow up in your face. And it has. And it will have a drastic effect in 2020. But people got to understand that the Democrats are desperate. They knew impeachment was never going to work from the beginning, but they had nothing else in their arsenal. They had no choice but to play the only card that they had to save face. It's the only reason why they did it. It was to save face because nothing else going for them. Mm-hmm. Now, I hear arguments, and it's laughable, that the reason why the economy is a success is because of the, how the Obama administration left the economy in hand. And I'm like, you must be delirious. What are you smoking? I don't even want to know. Where did you get that from? Please show me the facts and the stats to back that up, because if anything, eight years of Obama produced one of the worst, if not the worst economies in United States history, and Obama accumulated more debt than the previous 44 presidents before him. So that's where we are right now. I hope we are able to go into more detail as we get closer to the election cycle or about uh, 
2020 and the significance and the ramifications that it has. I'll leave you with this, Robert. My predictions is because of impeachment blowing up in the liberals' face, like I knew it was from the beginning, I predict they will lose the House. I predict the House will go back to Republicans. I predict the Republicans will retain the Senate. And one more interesting thing I heard in the media today, the Utah GOP has given Mitt Romney, Senator Romney, an ultimatum. And they actually have drafted a resolution in stating if he cannot go on the record in stating his support for Trump, they will do everything in his power to have him vacate his seat. Now, I don't know constitutionally if that is legal or not, what they're trying to push. So I'm not, if I don't know, I'm not going to say something I don't know. However, even the Utah GOP, Mike Lee, Tim Scott, are a great two senators from also the state of Utah. They are infuriated with the abomination that Romney committed in that impeachment hearing. Shame on Romney. I don't know what he's trying to get out of this, but if he was hoping that it would not lead to career suicide, which a five-year-old could have told him otherwise, he just killed any legacy he had. He disgraced any legacy he had, any credibility he had, any achievements and success in the political realm he had is gone. Well, and, and, and if you look back at the well, and, and and real quick, then we'll get we'll, we'll get Mike in. But if you look back in the archives of Bard's Logic, and this this was like years you know years ago, back in 2012, you'll see what we thought about Romney. We never liked Romney. We 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 couldn't stand Romney. I did everything I could to try to for Romney not to get the nomination in 2012. We knew and we talked about you know what what Romney really is. I mean, we talked about that at length, but and I actually, you know, got people mad at me for not supporting Romney for president. I even got, you know, you know, people. No, I'm not even going to go go there, but it, it was pretty bad. I mean, I, I was pretty bad with some of the things uh, people said to me for not uh, supporting Romney when he was coordinated. I mean, nominated uh, because I mean, I knew exactly what he was. I mean. This he, this was no I mean he's never been a mystery to me I mean I'm not I'm not you know I mean I'm not one to toot my horn but I mean he's never again you know don't go for my words now go back in 2012 when we were first uh, the show first started when we were saying you know I think one of our first episodes was why not Romney I think that was like the very first episode of the show t- the title of the show's very first episode was why not Romney I mean we knew who he was. Uh, and I'll add just one more quick thing. I'll just add one more quick thing to that. Many people have asked me over the years, why did I campaign for Romney? And I give them the simple answer. It was the lesser out of the two evils. Which was the better choice, Obama or Romney? That was the argument I made. And believe me, I, I, I knew Romney was not the strongest candidate. But out of all the candidates that ran in 2012, it was a weak field. He had the best chances, and it was the yeah. I, I would I still disagree with that though. I, I I still would disagree with that. I think that I think Newt Gingrich would have 
uh, eviscerated Obama in a debate. I mean, I mean, we can agree to disagree on that, but I mean, I think, I mean, he was he was weak. In, uh, Romney was weak in the debates. Uh, I think, you know, again, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, Gingrich would have eviscerated him in, in the debates. Uh, I really do. I think he would have like a Gingrich, like I, I touted a, a Gingrich Rice ticket. Is what is what I would like to see, and I, I really I still to this day think that would have been a winning ticket. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Sorry I for the interruption, but that, that's I, I just had to bring that up for for him. But anyway, no, no, of of, of course. Um, uh, the reason why I think Newt Gingrich wasn't a viable candidate was I think that it was more of guilt by association think that most people remembered him in the wrong context. Because I'll agree, I didn't have anything against Newt Gingrich. I thought he was one of the best speakers of the of the House, uh, one of the best Republican speakers of the House in Republican history, hands down. But it's just that people were looking for a new flavor in 2012. They didn't want someone from the 90s. Um, I, and I could be wrong, but that that tended to be the public sentiment. You know, there were a lot of people like you who admired Newt Gingrich, and I agree, Newt Gingrich would have eviscerated um, uh, Obama in the uh, debates. He would have been very uh, a strong candidate. But I think the reason at the time why the GOP didn't push him is because they were looking for a new flavor. They didn't want anyone that was associated with the uh, back and forth of the 90s um, you know, between uh, you know the the Dems and Bill Clinton and and Newt Gingrich, and I think a lot of people had written him off for the wrong reasons and saying that you know he's old guard. We need somebody new, even though Romney wasn't completely a fresh new face. He was still pretty new in the presidential field, and um, you know, so uh, the GOP was going to push who they were going to push. And like I said, it, it, it'll always be... Oh, and they be pushed. They were dirty in what they did. That, I mean, 2012, and then I'm going to bring it over to, because we are running on time, unfortunately, bring it over to Mike. I mean, I mean, it, 2012 is what made me leave the Republican Party for seven years uh, because, you know, the, what the, the antics that they did to get Romney that. And, I, and, and now I, last thing, bring, it, bring in Mike, and, and hopefully we'll hear from you, you know, again, and I hope to hear from you next week. Because um, it's great to hear, uh, hear again, Joseph. But I mean, I think that the reason why they they picked Romney, I think, because he was the weakest candidate, and they want they said, well, if we get more of Obama, we'll win the House back. But anyway, <laughs> we definitely can talk about that when we have more time. But let's go ahead. I, let's bring Mike in. Mike, we only get about two and a half minutes before I have to actually close things out for tonight. And I really appreciate okay. Mike you coming in. You you continue again, Joseph. But go ahead, Mike. Well, first off, I think it's what he said about space travel and everything would be fantastic. And I really, I think it would be a feather in our cap sort of collectively for the United States and for mankind to be able to do something like this. But with this president in place, no way should we give him any credit for doing anything like this. I would be terrified. A lot of us are terrified like that. We shouldn't allow him to get away with anything that would put a feather in his cap or say that he accomplished anything while he's in power. Maybe if someone, a good president like Obama or someone decent progressive was in power, I, I'd agree with that, yes. And we should do it, take the money away from the methadone clinics and, and the poor immigrants that need it and all, uh, yes. Uh, but in the meantime, with Trump, no, nothing that would help his name, uh, for, uh, we shouldn't do it. There are many out there that think like that. 
there are many yeah, that's, like that's that. true. And for a minute there, you, you Mike, you, you, you had me there. I'm like, who took, I was thinking, who took Mike's phone? And, and he's like, what happened? I know he's in New York. And someone steal his phone and, like, take it over. Oh, my gosh. I'm, who, who took Mike's phone? <laughs> I knew it, but, the, but they're out there. And they think like that. Anything that's positive. No, you're driving. You're going to hit the tree. It doesn't matter. We have to hit the tree. We're not going to let him win. Anything yeah, like that, they're going to ridicule it. It's 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 insane, but yeah, uh, I yeah I think he had a lot of great points out there, and and I'd love to see it done. I'd love to see money put back into NASA for exploration and to get. But you know what they'll do? They'll complain about every aspect of it, every facet you can look at. They'll say corporate greed is t- kicking in. Oh my God, Dick Cheney with the money, they've got something to do with it. They're building factories. Look at this. What about the spotted yeah. owl? Oh my goodness! Oh, yeah. Forget it. You can't rationalize anything. You can't be rational with them. So no. it's yeah, it's well, that's it, true it, because nice. you you can't yeah. reason. Yeah, you can't reason with them um, no. because they're they're all emotion at this point. Not not no reason, and that, that's no. another reason why we we call this you know Bard's logic because we try to you know uh, go by the by reason as much as we can, but uh, Mike, I do appreciate it uh, for you coming on. I do have to close things out uh, for this evening. Uh, Looking forward uh, to having our guest on uh, next week, and I will close tonight as I do every night. And that is what that song I told you about by Aubrey Ashburn, who we, yes, we did interview her, and uh, she's not doing music anymore, but she is doing uh, art, and hopefully one day I'll be able to afford it. (laughs) So, thank you very much, folks. Uh, Have a good night. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Good night. Uh, Hopefully see you next week. Good night. Mm -hmm. 